Yes, I'm ready now. Then close your eyes and tap your heels together three times. And think to yourself, there's no place like home. 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 Welcome to episode 29 of the Shelf Shedding Movie Show. I am your host, Jason Dubrace, and my guest is a first time guest on the show, but person that I worked with for a couple of years. Ali Pierce, and Ali's a music teacher, a band teacher, so her expertise will be very helpful as we talk about musicals. This is one of three shows I have dedicated to musicals. I, I label this one important musicals. I will get your take on whether you feel they're important or not. By important, I meant like kind of historically significant in some ways. We have the first movie musical ever. It's also the first movie that ever had sound, not just singing, but one line of dialogue. And we have the film that had an all African-American cast. And it was the very first first African-American female to be nominated for Best Actress. And then we have some very famous and very significant musicals that a lot of people certainly will have seen. So it's a little bit of a mix of ones that I think are maybe a bit more obscure and then ones that uh, a lot of people will have seen and certainly will, will have an opinion on and will either really like my opinion or not like my opinion. So welcome to the show. Thank you. I've always thought like, you you really enjoy musicals, right? I do. Yeah. You've been part of a lot of the musicals around Saskatoon. Yeah. When I'm involved in musicals, it's not on stage. It's always in the background. So either helping with helping with vocals or in the pit, for sure. And one of the things I'll talk about, and it's kind of funny. I, I'm going to have another musical episode that just kind of came together about the about the same time. One of the things that is a little bit different is sometimes I almost feel like, and somebody suggested this to me, and it, it makes a certain amount of sense that experiencing a musical in a theater, whether it's New York or in your city, or is a more powerful, more magical experience than, than watching it on the big screen or as we're mostly stuck with now, the small screen. How do you feel about the concept of movie musicals versus the idea of stage musicals? I agree to a certain extent. I mean, um, one of the most powerful drama experiences I ever had is I got to see Les Mis in London. Mm -hmm. And that basically turned me on to musicals, even though I'd been involved in high school um, and stuff like that. But that was kind of what made it for me. But that being said, I do not have access to all the other musicals around the world. And sometimes the way, like the interpretation for the movie almost has a better impact mm -hmm. instead of maybe it's just my attention, lack of attention span where I'm paying attention to all the other little details and like, oops, I missed something big. Yeah. Whereas in a, in a movie, directors are very much guiding you to try to focus on something so yeah you and i are the same in, in that regard when i'm watching a, a show and and i've directed some musicals I, I i'll be honest here i'm more comfortable directing plays than i am directing musicals and we'll talk about one <laughs> one of the movies we're reviewing we nearly directed together we pretty much so did close. but it covid hit and the performance didn't happen for our uh students last year which is really sad for them and for everybody who put so much time into it but i'm often like as a director 
on stage, I'm watching not just like who's supposed to be the focus of that particular scene. I'm watching people in the background to see, are they in character? Are they paying attention? What are they doing? Are they listening? Are they causing a distraction? Are they being actory? In in film, you don't necessarily have that because a director, I've always said that the, the director in, in theater doesn't have as much control as the writer and the actors and everybody. In film, a director, unless the studio interferes, and that might be something we end up talking about in a couple of the movies here, but the director has a lot more say in like where we are supposed to be paying attention and avoiding other distractions happening. Or at least intentional distractions, right? Like the intentional, like, yeah, in, in film, it's everything's intended mm-hmm. for the most part, whereas musicals, we, we both know anything live on stage, things happen. <laughs> anything can happen at all. Yeah, yeah it has happened. I've had powerful experiences watching movie musicals and powerful experiences watching uh, stage. Of this crop of movies, movie musicals, I I, I like all of them. Mm -hmm. Like it's a pretty good group. I think for whenever the next musical show happens, I think I have a lot more my critics hat was on. And in that episode, when you hear it, there'll be some pretty famous ones that we're looking at in that one too. And it was Mm -hmm. funny to me kind of because there was a bit of an overlap of watching the two. So I watched a lot of musicals recently. Ones even that I thought I had enjoyed in the past, I was having a hard time with. But uh, these ones, and some of them I, I, I waited a little bit, and I was like, it's been some years, and I was hoping that I would enjoy them, and I, I ended up enjoying all of them to a greater or lesser extent. What we're going to be reviewing, and we're going to just go in a, a little bit, of not certainly not chronological or alphabetical order or anything with this, just a little bit all Perfect. over the place. We're going to start off with a movie from the 1920s called The Jazz Singer, starring uh, Al Jolson. And it was the first movie to have sound and to have, there was an improvised line of dialogue in one of the songs, which became the first line that was ever said on in the history of film. I knew about the... I knew about the sound. I didn't realize about the line. So that was kind of interesting for me. Yeah, that was that was new information to me too. I thought that was intentional. But it's, it's kind of, when we get into it, it's, it's basically done like a silent film, except for the musical numbers. Uh, I'm sure it was just shocking to hear that sound back in the 20s when the movie came out. Then we go to a Best Picture winner from back in 2002. Chicago won Best Picture, the film version of Chicago, which took a long time to uh, come to the silver screen. Lots of different cast members and directors that were assigned to it, and it was ultimately quite successful as far as the awards season went that year. Another classic, The Wizard of Oz, it maybe didn't appear to completely be a classic when it first came out. It was an expensive movie. It was a very, very expensive movie, but it has emerged as uh, one of the most important movie musicals of all time. Then we're going to go to the crazy 80s and the show that I think is somewhat personal, at least for me, perhaps it is for you too, uh, Little Shop of Horrors. We're going to review the director's cut uh, version of it, and we'll get into a discussion a little bit about the theatrical and the director's cut. You've seen both versions? I have. And yeah, we'll, we'll get in, we'll get into that. I, being a purist in some ways, I think I'm happier with the one we're reviewing than uh, the theatrical cut. But I there are agree. Yeah. there are pros and cons. Then we're gonna take a look at fairly obscure. I think not sure a lot of people would have 
seen Carmen Jones. It's an all African-American movie musical. Uh, it had been a stage production and it's a version of Carmen, but just taken in a, a different context, settings of South Carolina and Chicago. Directed by Otto Preminger, who I talked about when I reviewed Exodus, which was a big ensemble movie that had Paul Newman in it. And then we're going to end off with another famous one, uh, one of the most famous out of the uh, Disney machine, Mary Poppins from the 1960s. And yeah, I think uh, should be a good show. Uh, anything else you'd like to say about musicals in general or these movies before we get started? I'm I'm just looking forward to this. So yeah, yeah. perfect. Thanks for being here. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You ain't heard nothing yet. Wait a minute. I tell you, you ain't heard nothing. You want to hear toot 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 me? All right. Hold on. Hold on. Lou, listen, play two, 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 three, three chorus, you understand? And the third chorus, I whistle. Now give it to him hard and heavy. Go right ahead. Two, 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 three, goodbye. Two, two, three, don't cry. The little choo choo train, that takes me away from you. You don't know just how sad it makes me. Kiss me pretty, and then, ow, ow. First movie that we're going to review is uh, the 1927 version of The Jazz Singer. There is actually more than one version of The Jazz Singer. I had actually forgotten that there was a Neil Diamond film version, which I have not seen, and you have seen? I've seen bits and pieces. Bits and pieces. Um, I, I have not put the effort to see the full thing. So I, I didn't hear good things about it. I That's heard... why I haven't put the effort in. Yeah, I, didn't, I, I didn't love the clips I saw. So Neil Diamond, if I remember correctly, was up for a Razzie Award for it. So that, yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'll see it someday. I, I'm not opposed to spending some time with, maybe I end up, if I have such low expectations for it, I'll enjoy it. But yeah, The Jazz Singer, the 1927 version, is about Cantor Rabinitz, who's concerned and upset because his son, Jackie, shows so little interest in carrying on the family's tra traditions and heritage. For five generations, men in the family have been cantors in, cantors in the synagogue, but Jackie's more interested in jazz and ragtime music. One day, they have such a bitter argument that Jackie leaves home for good. After a few years on his own, now calling himself Jack Robin as a stage name, he gets an important opportunity through the help of a well-known stage performer named Mary Dale. But Jackie finds that in order to balance his career, his relationship with Mary and his memories of his family, he'll be forced to make some difficult choices. Essentially, the choice between his family and his Jewish tradition and his chance to be a superstar on, on Broadway. So that's the premise of the jazz singer. What, what do you think of this version of the story? Um, I knew a little bit about it before we, like just bits of it before I, I watched it. This was the first time I'd watched it. Actually, when I taught jazz studies, it came up as a possibility. Mm -hmm. But with some of the conventions of the 1920s film, like blackface and stuff like that, didn't really feel appropriate to, to use it in a school setting, even though it, that was the time and the place, right? The, the struggle, like the, the, the plot struggle of like, do I follow the family? Do I go on my own? Seems very common for the musicals themselves. And I kept thinking of Fiddler on the Roof when I was watching yes. it. I did too. I did too. Yeah. It's funny because right after I was, I think it was maybe the next day after I had watched it. I watched this one fairly recently. It was my second time seeing it. And I kept thinking, yeah, there, there are a lot of things that fit 
Hitler probably borrowed and exaggerated on in uh, uh, an epic fashion. This isn't a, a terribly long movie, really. And it is a fairly simple story in many ways, but that it, it does describe the struggle for the artist who comes from a family where there are different expectations. So it's not a bad story, I don't think. No, it's and it's easy to follow. I didn't feel like any huge plot holes or like jumps that didn't make sense. Like it was, I don't want to say overly predictable, but you kind of could anticipate a little bit about what was going on. There was no weird wild curveballs that got thrown. So not, yeah, not really. There are no surprises. Pretty conventional story, but it, given the time, I think that was actually a pretty impressive cinematic film. And besides the sound and and all of that, I and I think those sequences are quite well done. Uh, what do you think about Al Jolson as a singer and a performer? I didn't think it was. I I enjoyed it um, for the most part. Like he he he's a he's a good singer because I believe he did most of his own vocals for this. Yeah, I think these guys were the ones that did most of their own vocals. Um, he's a strong enough singer that it held its own. I I don't want to say I'm a snob, but a lot of times if it doesn't line up or if it's really off, it throws me off for the entire movie. And that's coming as a not the best confident singer myself. I shouldn't be that judgmental, but this one I felt like it float like the the music didn't detract and the singers didn't detract. Like it added to the story. It enforced it. It wasn't kind of a cringe moment of oh what are they doing? The other thing I appreciate about it and I guess it depends what what the story that's being told is, but sometimes I find in some musicals, if they are taking a little bit of a more of an expressionistic approach to the story where we'll stop and have a song here and some songs are great and other songs are a little bit of a mix. In this case, every time somebody's singing, it makes sense. Yes. In reality, these are people who are singing either at the synagogue or at, at a musical review. Very unique voice that Jolson had. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a, a, I believe somebody described it as a cry. Like he has a bit of a cry in his voice. He's got a an while. easily like wail. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I mean, it, it does sound like almost like, I don't know if vaudeville's the right, mm-hmm. the right place to put it or whatever, but that kind of a voice that we actually, when we're reviewing Chicago later on, some of the actors use that kind of approach because it, you know it, it made sense in kind of the 20s and, and 30s to sing that way it was also that that's what that's what you heard in a lot of recordings of the time like it wasn't just in this movie like i i was joking about the jazz studies thing but if you do like we did listen to jazz around that time and vocal stuff um does have a lot of jazz singers did have that that presence and that sound so that's maybe why i didn't really notice it because it kind of it kind of fit it's not it's a style that it's it's different than what we're used to listening to nowadays but it was kind of almost one of the one of the skills that people had and i don't know if that's from recording or what or if that's just distortion but um yeah it was kind of common in that time for music it could be like those big voices now where singers will do these riffs and sometimes younger singers will overdo that you know they might have a powerful voice but they'll do a little bit too much of that and it's just because that for several years, those have been the singers that have influenced uh, certain types of music. So yeah, it, it definitely goes in waves with a lot of uh, a lot of these things, and so it makes sense for the time. He was considered quite a, a passionate performer, and we see that in the musical numbers. 
But I, I think you know, pretty good actor too. I think it's quite a strong, it's not totally silent movie performance, but for that era, I, I think there were some things that were psychologically motivated. It wasn't just all winking at the camera. Sometimes that, that era I've reviewed now several movies kind of from the 19 teens, 20s and 30s and into the 40s. And often I myself or my guest critic will comment on you see actors who are really playing out to the camera because that's what they're used to doing on stage. I didn't notice as much of that in this movie. I didn't either. Like it, maybe it was because it was so much on stage too that, yeah, but no, there wasn't the direct eye contact to the camera or anything like that. Yeah, it was, I didn't notice that much at all. So I, I might say like the, the gentleman here, I'll get his name, who played the father. Oh, yeah. He's, he's He's a bit over the top, as well as that other, the other senior Jewish man there who mm -hmm. keeps coming back to the theater to try to convince Jackie to come back and be the cantor. Yeah, Warner Oland is okay. his name. And then I believe Otto Lederer. I'm, I'm probably mispronouncing that last name there. Those two are the ones where I, I thought they were a little bit big, yeah. but it wasn't... It wasn't the biggest sin I've seen at this particular era of, of, of cinema, for sure. But Jolson himself, he just, he felt like a three-dimensional character. For um, sure. I have some picky problems with it, but I, I think the problem now, you've already identified in <laughs> the beginning there with, with, with this film, as important and influential as it is, and looking at some research, it's like listed on the top, whatever, for a bunch of stuff for, for the American Film Institute. But there are several scenes where Al Jolson is in blackface and has this wig. And, and so his big break is, is playing a, a black character and it's viewed as quite offensive. And um, so now, and I don't know, this is one of these things where I keep running into this when there's a pretty good movie, good performance. And at this time, nobody would have batted an eyelash about this stuff. But watching it now, nearly just a little bit under 100 years since the movie came out, those scenes don't sit well. And I think that holds me back from like saying, oh, everybody should check out The Jazz Singer. I think if you're interested in the history of film or you're also interested in the fact that this was the very first movie musical, obviously, because they didn't have, there were silent movies before that. Yeah. Can't be a musical without singing. It would be worth checking out, but I would always warn people that there is blackface in this movie and like the, the makeup and the exaggerated lips and all that, which has been pointed out to be just so culturally offensive. So that's yeah. that's an and unfortunate thing in here. And what's what's like an added layer to it is the fact that he, I mean, Jewish people throughout also have had a lot of like oppression as well and kind of outliers and so he did blackface to fit in sort of and to be seen and it was just kind of like there's so many layers there about and nowadays that like you said not really appropriate but at the time it's kind of one of those if you have a bit of the backstory and the back bit of the history watch it with that understanding not in today's context i guess but yeah i, I think so i i don't know if it helps or hurts the fact that it's a Jewish character. The thing that's kind of remarkable is about Jewish family, Jewish traditions. And this is many years before the Holocaust happens, right? And yeah. so it's, you know, there have been all this, all these years of oppression 
on Jewish people. They, but this is before we knew, you know, what was going to happen. You know, in some ways, it was just kind of nice to see uh, that in the late 20s, there was a film about a Jewish family. And it wasn't just all movies about kind of the wasp type of family. In this case, it's, you know, about a culture. And you also understand the fear. And this is familiar territory. There have been a million movies about this sense, but where the generation gap and very much the fear that the culture is going to go away and be lost if the next generation doesn't keep it going, if they pursue their own interests. And so you certainly understand the older generation's concern. Here's my picky one. Spoilers, all right. I should have mentioned at the beginning, I always forget. There could be some swearing and there could be some spoilers for the movies here. So if you haven't seen The Jazz Singer and you're interested, then maybe fast forward or go watch it now and then continue listening. So Jackie makes the sacrifice. It's a bit convoluted that the uh, theatrical producers and everybody who had a pretty much sold out opening night would cancel the, the show and, and do that for him, but that happens. And then he he sings and this manages to revive his alien father who can hear this outside the window. But he's clearly singing inside the synagogue. So I was just thinking it's nice for the, the melodrama of the story, but how does his father hear him singing in another building you know that that just felt like a a movie convention that you know was fairly impractical i mean and this story seems to be a little bit based on mother earth for the most part i mean uh it's not they're not trying to do something that's a little bit unusual or surreal right to me that that was just a a little bit of a drawback in a pretty pretty good movie from that time i mean i like i could see that on a stage right you know like but it wasn't even split screen or anything like that it was very much too separate and i remember being a little bit going huh but it's a musical so kind of went along with it so <laughs> yeah. I think for those who have troubled musicals I and I do feel like I'm in between mm-hmm. I get the criticisms of musicals in general and movie musicals as well but I also like a lot of them so there, there's always something that's a little bit showy or a little bit you know if if you're thinking or you're fighting it too hard then maybe it's not the genre for you type of thing for sure but this one I think other than some of the the issues we talked about here I think would work for people who have the attention span for black and white mostly silent movie musical but yeah I think that's just one moment that would ring a little bit false plus things kind of work out in a way that didn't seem to make sense because there's this big deal like you cannot possibly miss the opening night performance and somehow his his girlfriend and and one of the producers or something come into the apartment and see how important it is to the father and then they change their minds completely about about opening yes, night. Yeah. in a second like in, oh yeah done in Broadway and I guess I can only I can't speak of Broadway a hundred years ago, but if you cancel your opening night, your show's in a lot of trouble. It, would there even have been a second night? Like, yeah, I don't. You know I mean? There would have been a second night, but then we we get to see you know he gets the best of both worlds and he gets to go off and become a big star, but also honor his family. So I wasn't sure I was buying that as much, but it's it's kind of a sweeter end. We didn't need it to be some dark tragic thing where the father dies and then he goes off and does his own thing. You know, so yeah, or they all like penniless or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that would have turned too much into some of the other music. We're getting a little bit too much into this one. It's a simple story. I think it's one that you could follow. It might be a good way to bridge people into those interested in silent films, kind of a step Mm -hmm. 
core, looking at some other silent films, which are a little bit longer and might be a little bit more difficult. And I think there's there's a lot to enjoy about it. Is it the best one of the six we're talking about? Probably not. But I, I still stand by the fact that for a couple reasons, it's an important movie musical. It's always going to be remembered. I just okay. wish he was not playing a, a black character in that Broadway review for his big night. You take that out, then I think the movie would hold up really well. Yeah, even just singing, like literally take out blackface because he's not even singing minstrel music that would have been considered. Like the music history person part of me was just going, this doesn't need to happen. <laughs> yeah, the song he's singing doesn't really, no, it doesn't have anything to do with that. So, yeah. Anything else you'd like to say about the jazz singer? Don't think so. Yeah, like I said, it's it's a good one for history, and it's a good one to show like the start of things, and yeah. necessarily hasn't aged well, but it it's not a horrible one either. So uh, I've seen things age a lot worse, exactly. and that are a lot more recent than this have yeah. aged really bad. Yeah, I, I would say cautiously check out the jazz singer. Flash of leg, the taste of temptation, the smell of corruption, and things that go bump in the night. Slick your hair and wear your buckle shoes, and all that jazz. Velma has it. Want a brand new start to do that? Wants it. All my life, I wanted to have my own act. That's great. I'll be in touch. You know, I'm not quite finished yet. Face it, Roxy, you ain't never gonna have an act. You got connections. I would have said anything to get a piece of that. What you need is Billy Flick. He's never lost a case. Billy can fix it. My client feels that it was the combination of liquor and jazz which led to her downfall. Hey, Mama, you're the Velma Kelly. I was there the night that you got arrested. Yeah, you and half of Chicago. You couldn't buy that kind of publicity. But in a city where everyone loves a legend, there's only room for one. You want some advice? Keep your paws off my lawyer. Sweetest little jazz killer ever to hit Chicago. That's the angle I'm after. You were in the paper today, too. In the back, with the obituaries. They love me. They love you a lot more if you're a hang. You know why? Because there's some more papers. That's Chicago. Catherine Zeta-Jones. Renee Zellweger and Richard Gere. Are you guilty or not guilty? Don't you want to take my picture? Good night, folks. Gotcha. Chicago. When I, I actually lived in New York in 2002, and that's when I had the opportunity to see Chicago on, on Broadway. That was my first experience <laughs> seeing it. I, I was, it's really interesting. Okay. My reaction to it was pretty mixed. Yeah. I, I'm an enormous fan of Cabaret. Uh, I will be talking about Cabaret in a future show. 
And so I think because I'd had this experience with the revival of Cabaret that Alan Cumming was in, I had placed those sorts of expectations on Chicago. And this is probably like a 200th cast that in New York had performed Chicago. And it was it was okay. And I really liked certain characters and certain numbers and all that. And I'd certainly as a, the choreography and the dance is impeccable. I mean, it's a Bob Fosse yeah. show. And the movie came out. And it's funny, I wasn't over the moon with the movie. I, I liked it a lot, but I wasn't I wasn't saying like full marks or yeah, for sure, this is the best movie of this particular year. I, I would say that I completely and totally was in love and uh, to this day I'm in love with Catherine Zeta-Jones performance playing Velma Kelly and she won a much deserved Academy Award for this. Oh, for sure, um, yeah. Yeah, I, it was a no-brainer. Like probably two scenes in, she had me voting for her if I'd had a vote with the Academy Awards, which I don't, unfortunately. And over time, though, I've kept revisiting Chicago, mm-hmm. and it's been like a dream show for me. I I put on when I taught at Eden Bowman. Uh, one of my claims to fame is put on a production of Cabaret when people told me that nobody could put on Cabaret in a public high school. And that sounds like a challenge. Like, come on, yeah. challenge accepted. And after that, I looked more at Chicago, and each year I would see students that would be perfect for the roles in Chicago. But Chicago would never release the rights to any amateur group, and certainly no high school group. So each year I applied, each year I got a rejection letter. It's always been in the back of my mind, like it's one of these these dream shows that I that I absolutely love. So I I would say this is maybe my third time watching this version of Chicago, and this was the most I've enjoyed the entire thing. Maybe I I needed a little bit of time right. to think about it and get over my your initial impression is always I used to think that was the only one to have, mm-hmm. and now using this this podcast to revisit lots of movies I haven't seen in years, I find movies either increase or decrease in my esteem as I review them. This one increased. This time was very, very positive here. I should probably give a little bit of a plot here if for those who don't know what Chicago is. Velma Kelly, played by Catherine Zeta-Jones, who I mentioned, is a murderess, and she ends up catching her husband and her sister in bed together and kills them and then goes out that night and performs the famous song All That Jazz just before she gets arrested and put into jail. Around the same time, another woman named Roxy Hart, uh, played by Renee Zellweger, ends up in a situation where uh, she's having an affair with this man, and then he he turns into a real jerk, and she ends up killing him, and she gets arrested, and she ends up being in the same prison. And so they're both on death row together for uh, for killing men, as are several other women. But the whole idea of becoming a criminal and killing somebody is linked to fame and show business. And it's almost like the only way to become famous and get attention from the Chicago media is to be a killer and then to get your way out of jail with the assistance of a rather shady lawyer. And the lawyer is played by Richard Gere. And he is a guy who claims that he's there to defend women, but really he's in it for his own reasons, his own fame, and to get money. And pretty much every character, except for perhaps one character, is a really horrible person. And yet you kind of enjoy it. And what I've enjoyed about Chicago, besides the you know amazing music 
like this is where one where I genuinely like the music throughout. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think there are reasons why most of the songs are in there. I'm not kind of going, oh, why is that in here? Is this going to kill mm-hmm. five minutes of screen time or time yeah. on stage? And as I said, like amazing choreography because it was a Bob Fosse show, costumes and everything. I love that that whole style. But mm-hmm. the satire of it is so, so sharp. Yeah. Criticism of the media and the prison system and the judicial system in Chicago and about corruption. All of that is very sharp. And I think maybe I wasn't giving the full film enough credit when I first saw it. And every time I see it, that that satire becomes sharper and sharper. Mm-hmm. And I like what everybody's doing, not just Catherine Zeta-Jones. I was a bit blah, I think, honestly, with uh, Renee Zellweger as, as Roxy Hart. Mm-hmm. She, she got a lot of critical attention, nearly won an Academy Award. And I was kind of like, like, what's the big deal? Like, I, I thought Catherine Zia-Jones just outshone her. Like, there's a thing where, in desperation, one of my favorite numbers is when Catherine Zeta-Jones dances and sings and acts, that shows the dual act that she did with her sister to try to convince Roxy to join her to, so she could keep up her fame. And that's so brilliantly acted and danced and sung and, and all of it is so mm-hmm. desperate. And I thought Zellweger was, did a nice enough job and it was actually yeah. pretty good in the musical numbers, but I didn't think there was anything special about her performance. Absolutely agree. It was kind of like, it was there. It wasn't, yeah, it was, it was there. It wasn't anything spectacular. It wasn't anything like, she wasn't the memorable performance by any stretch. No, and, and she is the lead. I mean, that's supposed to be the the character that we're following the most. I mean, they, they, they could be kind of co-leads, I suppose, in there. What I saw, I guess, this time, and I don't know, maybe I'm putting the context of seeing Renee Zellweger play Judy Garland onto this, okay. and she won the Oscar last year, of course, for that in, in the movie Judy. And then, of course, we're going to be talking about Wizard of Oz later on, so there's all these links between all these movies. But I started to see more subtleties this time. So I kind okay. of started to come around to liking that performance a bit more. I still kind of wish I liked Queen Latifah more. Everybody loves Queen Latifah, just Queen Latifah. Mm-hmm. A good choice for Mama Morton. Not apparently they were asking Kathy Bates initially to play the role, but that she was. Would have been interesting. It would have been interesting. She was going to be. She was filming a, a movie called About Schmidt at the same time, oh. and she was up for an Oscar against Queen Latifah, and they both lost to Catherine Zeta Jones, of course. <laughs> I, I think either way it would have been good. I, I I find I thought Queen Latifah was a bit better in the musical numbers. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Like she. Yeah. Like her her musicianship kind of came through like she was able to sing and kind of like it was almost like she was able to perform it better whereas some of the acting wasn't as nat i don't want to say natural but like her non-singing parts were kind of eh. there were some great good moments but it wasn't like stand out or the huge shock and awe that like when she switches gears from being again mm-hmm. this is another one where in the musical numbers it's presented that uh, you know this is a really caring person who's going to take care of her inmates but really she's taking bribes on the side and again uh, Richard Gere plays Billy Flynn this is the, like the lawyer who is in it for money too you know if they do all these favors they get this money to her then she'll make the contacts to get Billy Flynn to represent them and and so uh, Velma is very prominent at the beginning has a lot of power and so she has Billy Flynn as her attorney and then Roxy has to go through a lot of steps to be able to get Billy Flynn in there. So I, I, I thought, it, you know, it was nice that she got acknowledged, but almost if, almost everybody in the movie got acknowledged with the Oscar nominations, except for Richard Gere. And we might get to him shortly. 
Some people would agree with that. Some people might thought he could have got attention. I think I liked his yeah. performance more this time again. I, I almost liked everything more this time. Like, it's like everything kind of got up to the level of, of what I thought of Catherine Zeta-Jones. Not completely. She still, to me, steals the whole show. John C. Riley plays Amos, who's mm-hmm. Rossi's husband. And he's probably the only innocent, nice person in the movie. He gets treated horribly by by everybody. Every single person. Everybody. You know, Richard Gere's awful to him. Certainly Renee Zellweger is is terrible to him. Right From up until gecko. Yeah. beginning to end, like she tries to pin the murder on him and he's willing to go along with it mm-hmm. to realize what's actually going on. And typically what I've seen in stage productions is they actually go with a usually a, a rather large man, like sort of like if you could have Imagine like sort of Norm from Cheers type of a okay. figure, the Chicago accent, yep. kind of a, a working class stiff. Yep. It was an interesting choice to have John C. Riley. I, I I'm not mm-hmm. sure that I saw him playing this role. I think he does a good job in a few scenes. He also got an Oscar nomination. I was at the time too. Like the, I don't know if they were thinking Chicago was going to sweep the whole thing. I had heard some talk that he might actually win as well. I think his. His highlight moment would be Mr. Cellophane as far as songs. For sure, yeah. But he, he's a good actor. He's good in these other scenes too. He had this whole idea of having Amos be a clown. And they, they cut in, the editing's very good in the movie. And they have these shots of him putting this clown makeup on yep. for Mr. Cellophane and then performing. And then that's really interesting that that dance he does and he is like the jazz hands. It's Watching it this time, I, I'm still kind of fascinated by that performance. It's almost like I've been told it's a really, really great performance. And I'm each time I'm looking to see what Why? is really great about it. Yeah, I think it, I, I'm still at the point where I'm saying it's probably better than fine. It's a good performance. Mm-hmm. I just in, in this ensemble, I don't think it's in. It, it's be, I'd say it's a better than Queen Latifah, but not as good as even I'd say Richard Gere is better. Controversially, okay. maybe, but yeah. No, I'd agree. I, yeah, it was. You could tell the intent, right? And there is some emotions that kind of get pulled with it, but it's not a runaway, and it's not a like screaming about the character, and everyone then tugs at the heartstrings, and all of us fall for the character or whatever. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, yeah, yeah, you you, you realize you got swindled. But. but maybe it's we feel this way because he did such a great job. Because really, this this poor guy is forgettable. And he's supposed to be forgettable. Like he's in the room and people don't know that he's there. Like that's, and so maybe that's Riley was quite good at, at that. It could be that some people had no idea that he could sing and dance too. Yeah. And, and they just didn't know that he had that performance in him. And now he's mostly known as a comedic actor, but he's, I used to see him when he was in serious movies too. And I kind of preferred his serious acting. And this was kind of a little bit of a mix of, of the two. I think a really good ensemble, well put together. Uh, Rob Marshall's a choreographer and he, mm-hmm. he, he got the gig to uh, direct it. Apparently went to Miramax and they, they called him in because they wanted him to direct Rent. And oh. he, and he campaigned to direct Chicago and then he managed to, uh, to get it. So, and there, there had been a series generations, basically Fosse himself, I think was going to be directing a film version of this with, it was going to be Frank Sinatra, Goldie Hawn and Liza Minnelli. It was the, the, the 1970s idea, but then the seventies happened, the eighties happened, the nineties happened. People, yeah, Fosse died in the late eighties. That idea kind of was on the shelf for a long time, but when it came out, it was it was highly anticipated and it was quite successful. A couple things, one of the ironies that some people would 
they complained about it at the time. Chicago was shot in Toronto. Oh yeah. Yeah, wasn't they didn't shoot Chicago in Chicago? Why would they have done that? I, I hate to pick on a Canadian actor, and unfortunately, this Canadian actor, I just saw him in. Uh, I'll say something nice first. I, I just saw him in a movie called My uh, My Salinger Year. It's a it's a new Canadian film, and Confior is his name. He's a great stage actor. He's been on Stratford, and he's in nearly every Canadian movie and several American movies too. And he plays uh, the police detective at the beginning. Yeah, I didn't think he was very good, unfortunately. And yeah, and uh, then a couple of my other complaints, I I'd still think that the court scene was just so overdone. I get that it's satire, but yeah. it, it didn't, a lot of it didn't make sense. There's people making speeches and mm -hmm. that I, I don't know if I should be blaming the screenwriter or blaming the original musical for that one. But I think it was also how they played it. Everything, it was the show. I guess that's the point they're making is it, this was the, the performance that they were doing for everybody to see was, was the courtroom stuff. Can't believe that, you know, when you see all that, that Roxy would actually get away with it as, as she does. <laughs> I just figured I was playing too much logic into a musical, so. Yeah, I am probably, you'll be finding that as I review musicals. I'm probably, I'm probably fighting them a little bit too much, I guess. Also, they had an original song. It was nominated for an Oscar, but it only plays during the credits. Right. The song with Catherine Zeta-Jones and Renee Zellweger. But this time around, those were my only criticisms. I really liked it. So I don't know if we want to talk about uh, Mr. Richard Gere. A legend in many ways. He's been he's had a long career. And he's been a lot sure. of stuff. He seems to be a guy, though, that I don't know. For, for every good performance, there's probably about four or five. You could say, like, what was that? Yeah. I feel like he gives his all in, in, in each of these movies, but he sometimes picks some not so great projects. And I'm not sure, this was another one where I, I don't know if people realize that he had a musical theater background and he'd been, you know, I think he was, had been connected to productions of Greece and, and things like this in his, his early days. He had won the Golden Globe for uh, best actor. He beat Nicolas Cage for adaptation, but Cage got, a, got the nomination for best actor, but Gear was pretty much the only one <laughs> Only one of the featured people in the movie to get to get snubbed. And I don't know, I, I'd like to get more, somebody who's more of an expert on musical theater like you to tell me what you think of Gear's performance and if if it was good or or not, or if it was just a little bit more of a, like a, a big deal was made about him playing the role. I liked him in some of the scenes a lot. But yeah, like there was there was times like the the stuff where at the beginning I actually really liked his stuff um, when he's first introduced. I liked the flow uh, and like his work in the beginning, and then as it gets more and more out, for lack of a better word, outrageous. I kind of like lost interest, not interest, but I I lost any connection with him. It yeah. was just like ugh, over the top, like too over the top. Mm -hmm. And I think on stage. Like on life stage, real life stage, probably would have translated well. But in the movie where other people were acting more like film actors mm -hmm. and not like stage actors, it kind of was this weird disparity in some of it where it was didn't love it as much. In the like, end, I, I I liked him in the ending too, but again, that's the over the top everything. But and so I'm not sure. I get why he was snubbed a little bit. Yeah. He yeah, it's, he's very effective, I think, in the non-musical numbers. Yes. And I think he's good in the musical numbers. It's a bit jarring when he first starts to sing. And then he does the Al Jolson thing I was I was alluding to earlier. Give him the old razzle-dazzle. 
You yeah. Start- that was the one that made me cringe the most. Was like, yeah. good lord, Richard Gere. Like, you know, he's doing this character voice, but his character doesn't talk like that. And so that that was a little bit off. But I mean, it, it had energy to it. I think if this would be more of a criticism, probably of Rob Marshall's. Like, it, the editing's very good, and I like mm-hmm. kind of the the shots of like what's really happening, what's happening in you know the imagination, uh, Roxy's imagination mostly, but. I, I feel like a lot of Richard Gere's musical numbers were so heavily edited and, you know, kind of cut together and choreographed that I didn't get the feeling that I got from some of the other performers when they had their moment. Like, they all had to deal with that, like, quick cutting thing, too. But I think some things get a little bit muddied in there. I mean, and... On the third viewing, I was able to sort of settle in and watch what he was doing a bit more than any other time. And I liked what he did, the dance-wise, too. And, you know, there's that that tap dance sequence. Apparently, he spent months learning how to tap dance. Yeah, I know that, too. (laughs) He had it on set. They only took half a day to shoot that, apparently. So he... So he knew his stuff. He came in prepared. And and so I, I think it's just an uneven performance, but... There were some people that got nominated for this movie that I don't think were as good as he was. I'd have him a little bit more top middle of the pack here. I think Rita Jones was just in a world unto herself. Have I mentioned that? I love that. It's one of my favorite performances. (laughs) If you haven't, I'll add to it. And then I I would say Zellweger wasn't as good, but she's still up there. And I I think, you know, it's a more subtle performance, perhaps. Yet she has the courtroom scene and the scene where she becomes the... uh, the puppet that's controlled by in the press conference for Richard Gere. It's a mm-hmm. strange scene, but it, it, it's strange in the musical as well. But it's she plays those well, but then she plays the other scenes quite in quite an effective way. So I don't know why she's just not as likable a character. Roxy just seems like you know whining a bit. Yeah, she's one that you think you would love right at the beginning, yeah. sort of. And then you see her, like, what, 15 minutes in, already manipulating everything and everyone, and you're like, ah. few fun facts. I just I read a few before. Charlize Theron had the role of Roxy Hart, and okay. there was another director connected to the project. And then that director ended up, I don't know, being fired or backing out of it or whatever. And then Rob Marshall made... Charlize Theron audition for the role again, and she lost out to Renee Zellweger. So I thought that was interesting. I'd almost like to see what Charlize Theron would have done with that. I mean, I, I don't like to compare the two actors. I think they're both oh. amazing actors, but I, I almost feel like in this role, she would have been better than Zellweger. Yeah, knowing some of her other work and knowing like her, I mean, I don't know her singing as well, but yeah, that would have been interesting. An interesting. She would have had the right balance of having the edge that Roxy yeah. has, but she wouldn't come across as as pouty or as like a, some spoiled brat type of thing, you know. And I know there's yeah. a certain element of that that is supposed to be in the character, but I think we might have ended up liking her just as much as Velma. Like Velma is commits a d- double murder, but we're, <laughs> we're kind of cheering for her and feeling well, bad for her along the way. You know, yep. all of these are horrible people. The only person we should be caring about is poor Amos over there, but somehow yeah. he's in the background and, and we're really liking that. But yeah, I, I'm really glad Catherine Zeta-Jones took that role. It wasn't a for sure mm-hmm. thing. She was actually early in a pregnancy when she was right. uh, filming it too. And yeah, did an awesome job. The Cell Block Tango is always works for me. It doesn't matter yes. who's performing it. Absolutely. But good in this one. Maybe not as good as live. I would say I, I, I prefer seeing that number with a, a big set and yeah, and seeing everybody at once as opposed to seeing only one of them at a time, mm-hmm. you know. But 
Yeah, and all that jazz, and just so many great songs. Yeah. And I can sit back and I enjoy it, and I'm not thinking, okay, this is killing time before we get to back to the plot, as some musicals, unfortunately, have me feeling, so. Me too. So, yeah, no, it was one, it was one that I didn't feel like I was checking the time on. And even other musicals that I love, there's times it's like, oh, how long is this? Or, you know, <laughs> where am I in the grand scheme of this plot or whatever? <laughs> This yes. one, and I hadn't watched it in a really long time. I watched it right after it came out, but it's easily been six or seven years since I watched it last. Yeah. So watching it again, it was one of those like, oh, I forgot about this. I forgot about that. It was, and it flew by. So there, there are two movies that that we're reviewing that I, I feel like I was in the perfect mood to see, and this was one of them. So okay. maybe that's going to impact the points at the end. Probably it will. And so this is where I stand with it today. So I would encourage people to check out Chicago. It's an important movie musical, Fosse's contribution to mm -hmm. uh, theater and film will always be remembered. And I, I tend to like these sort of darker, edgier musicals. That's a little bit more my, my, my thing as opposed to, we'll be talking about some kind of G-rated ones coming up yeah. soon too which i can also appreciate these specific ones but not always all right anything else you'd like to say about chicago just go see it if you like it's one yeah. it's another one that i think people need to see even if it's just for the music so but there's some pretty good acting in there too and mm -hmm. a, a pretty solid story so check it out Many, many miles east of nowhere lies the amazing land of Oz, a magnificent empire created in the mind of a man who wrote a great book about it. Like wildfire in the wheat field, the fabulous tale of the Wizard of Oz spread from town to city to nation to the entire world. Although the Wizard of Oz has captivated the children of four generations and fired the imaginations of those youthful adults who have never grown old, although 10 million copies of the book have reached eager hands and eager hearts, no one has dared the towering task of giving life and reality to the land of Oz and its people. Every delightful character of L. Frank Baum's classic is now reborn. Every glorious adventure has been recaptured and painted with a rainbow. The celebration in Munchkinland, the flying monkeys, the rescue of Dorothy, the castle of the witch, the palace of Oz, and Dorothy's strange journey to the Emerald City to find the wonderful Wizard of Oz himself. We're off to see the wizard, the wonderful wizard of Oz. We hear he is the wizard of wins, if ever a wizard there was. If ever a weather of wins there was, the wizard of Oz is one because, 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 because of the wonderful things he does. We're off to see the wizard, the wonderful wizard of Oz. if I need to go over the plot of the Wizard of Oz if people haven't seen the Wizard of Oz at this point. A girl named Dorothy and her dog Toto get stuck in a, a tornado in Kansas and are then supposedly transferred or transplanted to the magical land of Oz which is in beautiful Technicolor in the late 1930s and the only way for her to get back home to Kansas to her aunt and uncle is uh, to see the uh, wonderful Wizard of Oz. And she meets Scarecrow, Tin Man, and Cowardly Lion along the way. 
and has to contend with the Wicked Witch of the West, uh, as well as several other colorful characters. And again, the bridge to this is if you want a companion piece, and unfortunately, because of some of this, and, and another movie called Mank that I re recently watched, which has gained a lot of Oscar attention, there may be some things that I now know surrounding The Wizard of Oz, which are not so pleasant, and yeah. I think we knew beforehand, but I would recommend people check out, I would say The Wizard of Oz is a better movie overall than than Judy, the uh biopic of, of of Judy Garland, but people need to see it for Renee Zellweger's performance, which is another career topper for me. I, I, as kind of wanting to love and lukewarm as I was about her performance in Chicago, she just nails it kind of beginning to end. And the movie doesn't work without her performance. She she totally needed to, to play this with the right age. And I hate to say it and to bring this up, but Chicago happens. It was Miramax Studios. Renee Zellweger, many of her movies were with Miramax supervised by one Harvey Weinstein and Judy Garland had to contend with Louis B. Mayer at MGM and there are suggestions that what may have happened to many young women by Mr. Weinstein to people of that Renee Zellweger's group of actors at the time I don't know if Renee Zellweger herself was a victim of this, but I don't know. I almost wonder. I mean, just yeah. her, her career, kind of, she kind of disappeared for a few years and then came back with this movie last year, which I'm, I'm happy that she got attention for. But a lot of stuff happened to Judy Garland, yeah. the Wizard of Oz. So it, to, to me, it's one of the great, like she could act. She, she could sing, of course, and she could do the dancing, but she could actually act. And we would see that in later parts in her very, very short life. But her role as Dorothy is iconic, and she's very good. I can't imagine anybody else playing this role. Exactly. Right? Yeah. But everything surrounding it was a facade. Yeah. She had to wear some sort of, like, this girdle thing or something, this thing that was pushed up really tight because uh, they wanted her to look younger and more flat-chested. Yeah. So she's having to sing and move around in probably the most uncomfortable way possible. They wanted to keep her, like, this girl next door image. They did these like fake dates with her and Mickey Rooney at the time. And she was doing insane hours and she was exhausted as she was doing this film and the movie was so over budget. That's all the negative stuff surrounding the Wizard of Oz. There's also that urban legend. I was looking for it. I I, I don't know if it was yeah. a really of I think it was one of was a crew person or one of the munchkins or something that had I've heard munchkins, but it was a munchkin who who died on the set, like hung himself and can be seen in the background in one shot. Yeah. And the the munchkins in general were given uh, 50 $55 a week to be in this mm -hmm. film. Toto, the dog, was given $125 yes. a week. It's crazy. So th there was just a, a lot of stuff that happened around Louis B. Mayer was a, abuse of, that happened mm -hmm. before the actors unionized. And he, he fought unionization and... You know, his, he was considered a legend, a Hollywood legend, but or a mogul. But he might be another one of these ones that we need to re-examine and see, like, okay, yeah, had this pretty influential studio and a lot of great movies came out of it. But his actions were, he was not a very nice human being. And no, so, he wasn't. So, and then Judy Garland, of course, got pregnant out of wedlock shortly after this, and the studio made her abort her child and she and then she suffered with this trauma for years after which led to the alcoholism the drug addiction and yeah eventually what what happened to her but um really sad sad hollywood story so and I, also like I, that's in the back of my mind while i'm watching the wizard of oz now which is just 
Yeah. Well, and I also, and this is a random fact that my dad told me one time when I was telling him that I was watching this or whatever, like with the original Tin Man is the guy from, is from Beverly Hillbillies and he had to stop because the, the lead in the paint actually caused permanent lung damage, like quite significant. And Mm -hmm. so who we've got as Tin Man was not the original one. They didn't want to replace him, but he was literally dying. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like I'm saying, I'm watching this. Oh, did you know? (laughs) Like, oh yeah, there's so many stories. It's not just that, but like. Here's the other uh, health and safety thing, which would never happen again. The sequence, there's a poppy sequence where uh, Mm -hmm. the Wicked Witch has, you know, done this thing with the poppy so that they all fall asleep before they can get to Emerald City. The snow was made up of asbestos. Yeah. Yeah, you knew about that one? Yeah. Yeah. Like, all the stuff. <laughs> like, ah. Any of this stuff happening now, you know, uh, yeah. just uh, they could get away with murder. And I guess they, they did in some ways here. So now let's rewind a little bit. I'm a little kid and my, my parents and this other couple would get together every Friday and they would alternate who would be at what house. And then when we were at the, the friend's house, it was out on an acreage, just a little bit outside of Saskatoon. Every single Friday, I guess, every single Friday, we would watch The Wizard of Oz. But not once did we were we able to stay because it would be our past our bedtime. We would have to leave before the movie was done. So I never saw them go to Emerald City or even get to like that oh. poppy field until years later when I was able to see the full movie when I was old enough, I guess, to, or we started it later in the day or whatever. But I, I, I always I loved it. I. I enjoyed it. I being that age, I didn't like the black and white sequence so much. I just was excited for the color to happen. This time watching it on a bl- the Blu-ray that I have, like that black and white sequence looks so good. Whatever restoration they've done, it yeah. looks as good as the Technicolor sequence, which was really magical at that time. So I am obviously going to have a very positive review of the wizard of oz but i did i got into my head and i did get overly critical and i had some notes of course but what's your experience with the wizard of oz other than hearing about Um, the history of the production when i was i remember watching it when i grow i was growing up too like i have a few family members who were kind of into disney and musicals and so i remember watching it with some of them i actually hated the movie until i was about 15. Mm -hmm. i liked the color parts I hated everything to do with the witch. Yes, you too. I think it and the the forest. It was actually the forest that scared me first, like the talking trees and stuff like right. that. Like, and I think that just threw me off. So anytime I heard the music, because the music is very well cued to different scenes and stuff, mm-hmm. I just hated. I hated parts of it, and I would skip. I remember fast forwarding on the good VHS because that was that, it's the eighties. Yeah, it wasn't until I was in high school and sat down and watched. It was like, it wasn't that, like, I enjoyed it. Now I love it. It is one of my favorite movies. So I do have, when it comes to musicals and stuff, it is one of my favorites. So, but it's funny because I do remember every once in a while watching some of these scenes and absolutely hating it Yeah, with a passion or wanting to just skip forward. So that's why I think it's good to watch it as a kid. Yeah. Watch it as a teenager. And when you're a teenager, you're going to be super honest and you're like, oh, this is stupid or whatever, you know. I mean, I don't think there was a Disney. Disney classic movies came out during those years. Like each year there yes, was, they did. and I always hesitated or I didn't want to go see it. And then I go see it in theaters. Like, that was really good. Why did I wait to see the Lion King or Aladdin or things like that? But mm-hmm. that was just the stage I was at. And then to revisit these movies again as an adult, I think is, uh, is really important. Going to the, like the idea of the witch, which was interesting. Again, these are probably 2021 triggers. <laughs> Potentially. 
I come across really negative here. I actually, I, I do like the movie, but yeah. there's a line where, where Dorothy's amazed by um, the good witch, right? And the good witch is his line that says, only bad witches are ugly. Ugly, yeah. So that combined with Walt Disney's characterization of older people and all that, like ageism and there's all this like, you know, body image stuff connected to it. But yeah. that line felt a little bit whatever. So if I'm pretty, then I'm a good witch. And, you know, I, I just... Yeah. That, Pretty pink and blonde. Bit of a problem there. Uh, this is, again, 1930s, late 30s. So the acting abilities are a bit all over the place. Like, of course, this is not a realistic piece. So maybe I shouldn't be criticizing some overacting. But, but there's, there, was. <laughs> there was. There was. And even among, maybe purposefully uh, among, uh, you know, uh, certainly the Cowardly Lion is very big. Actually, probably the, the most subtle would be the Scarecrow played by Ray uh, Bulger. He, like, he, mm -hmm. he does big movements and he can't keep on his feet like I was like I actually kind of like that when they're going down the yellow brick road and the other three are kind of holding him up and he makes it effortless like yeah it's not a oh I have to fall now but you know I think Tin Man and especially Cowardly Lion are a bit big works for works for children I remember the the Wicked Witch of the West being like unpleasant and scary uh apparently the the woman uh Margaret Hamilton played her as the nicest person in the world yeah and, but a Apparently, there was a ton of stuff that was cut from her performance because it was viewed as too scary for children. And even with that, it still had a little bit of an impact on, like, really little kids. And didn't she end up, like, doing a whole bunch of, like, kids shows? Like, I believe she was on, like, Mr. Rogers a bunch of times just to prove that she was not, like, yeah. she was playing a character. She was a nice human. Yeah, she, she yeah, Mr. Rogers, I think he interviewed her a few times yeah. about being in Wizard of Oz. She was on Sesame Street, it looks like. Yeah, she did a lot of TV stuff in the last uh, stages of her life. She had a pretty good resume, pretty good movie career here. Mm -hmm. I, I think... I think she was she was good. It gets a little bit overshadowed by some other people. Uh, a lot of the bit players, I think, were were too much. And when when they get into Emerald City, there's that horse carriage and and the person on there. And I think they're all supposed to be Irish, but he's doing some strange Irish Cockney accent. I not. <laughs> I couldn't really figure out what was going on with that. I told you, and I don't know why I haven't clocked this before. And it has been a long time since I saw the movie. And so one of my pet peeves is filler songs. Mm -hmm. I think there's one very obvious filler song. Which one do you think that would be? Now I need to go through the list in my head. That's I, I won't make it work that hard on it. Okay. They're waiting to be let in to see oh. uh, the wizard the first time, and there's this big long sequence about you know about the if cowardly lion becoming a king. Yeah, if I were king of the forest. Yeah, that was where yeah. I was headed, but I was like, eh. I don't see any purpose for that other than to eat some time. Like I, I don't know that that's the one that I thought could have been cut. Unless you like guarantee the lion some screen time, but like. No. I guess so. <laughs> he has lots of screen time anyway. Exactly. Makes full use of his screen time. You know, he, he plays a role very big. Fun fact, Somewhere Over the Rainbow was nearly cut. Yes. Yeah. They didn't want to spend that much time in Kansas. They didn't want uh, Judy Garland to sing a song in a barn or something like that. And it was too slow, right? And then at one point they were going to put it in when Dorothy's captured by the Wicked Witch and have her singing it in like some sort of cell in some really depressing type of <laughs> sequence. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I, I'm glad they kept it because... You know, that's that song. I think that song will outlast the movie. I mean, that oh, is for sure. one of the most important songs ever. It's been listed. Read. It's been it's it's listed by itself in some of those like 
must be stored national registry stuff it like is. the song i know wizard of oz is but so is the song separately yeah. and the ruby slippers of course are in the smithsonian mm -hmm. in washington dc so they'll be there forever so this is an important movie in the history of film if i haven't said it already uh judy garland was was great from beginning to end and knowing what she was going through at the time and how young she was i think she was mm -hmm. 16 in this performance something like that yeah i appreciate what she does even more and i i mean i think she gives the best performance clearly in the movie and it's very important i, I think the movie looks amazing like the effects you know yeah sure they aren't like the cgi whatever you can tell a lot of it it was shot on a studio and a lot and all that but the look of it is still very good and again that was 1939 right yeah. The other thing I want to mention now, I think a, a ton of directors were fired along the way, as I understand it. I think so. But eventually, Victor Fleming directed this, and it was released the same year. So Victor Fleming won Best Director that year, not for The Wizard of Oz, but for Gone with the Wind. So in one film year, The Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind, two of the most famous movies of all time were directed by the same person. And so I, I just want to mention, like, I think he, I don't know, there's some stuff that was filmed that he wasn't responsible for, but he came in, he put the whole thing together. So I still think it, it's a well-directed movie. Well, this is one where, again, as I said, I will excuse the fact that like not every song is realistic, but we spend most of this really in, in Dorothy's mind where she's imagining this this other world yeah. uh, where, she, where she's gone. I think there's a lot of stuff too, viewing this movie kind of through the lens of the rainbow and the impact that Judy Garland had on the gay, lesbian, trans community. And I, I think, you know, if you take a look at those, those three guys and their performances, I think there's a, a little bit of a, a, a suggestion of other things. And I don't know if that's me reading in there or that, you know, they, they, they play it very camp. And I don't know if that was, I, I don't think anybody at MGM at that particular time, that they weren't a very progressive lot. No, uh, not so much. <laughs> but I don't know if there was somebody along the way that was trying to uh, get a message out there which could not be spoken uh, in the late 30s. But yeah. Uh, so it has this whole, whole other sphere of influence, let's say. Oh, for um, sure. Yeah. yeah. And so there's a lot, a lot to watch more than just a, a children's film. But I think you could actually... I could show this to my cousin's daughter who's five years old. She'd be about the right age to see this now. And she, I yeah. think she, on the whole, would really enjoy it. I don't know if she could sit through the full two hours, but... I have a niece that when I found out, like when I said I was watching this, I have a five-year-old niece mm -hmm. and her mom was like yeah but like for most of it it's fine but it would have been like some of the some of the scenes with the witch yeah. would be scary so maybe just judge like she didn't watch it with me obviously or else mm -hmm. i would have like told you about all the connections to paw patrol or something but <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah it's one of those kind of things that oh the next time i'm with her maybe we'll watch a bit and see what happens so yeah. It'll go through generations for sure to come. I have a show coming up on animated movies. And as I'm being super critical of these things, I always feel like I, if I was watching it with a child, I would probably have better information to go on, in all honesty, <laughs> than yeah. 40 plus year old, whatever, feelings about these movies. But I, I tend to think that Wizard of Oz is a family movie, truly. Mm -hmm. If it's a movie that I've kind of, I've, I've been reviewing, I reviewed Wally -E recently, how kids can get something out of it, but adults can get something out of it. And to me, that's type of family movie or movie for for children that I like is one where yeah. you can appreciate it at different stages of your life. And I think yeah. Wizard of Oz is like that. Oh, for sure. 
I yeah. agree. Is there anything else you'd like to say about the wonderful Wizard of Oz? <laughs> it just no. brought, like I said, brought back memory. So it was, it was kind of nice to watch. <laughs> did you ever see, uh, I've only seen it once. I saw it in theaters when I was a kid. But did you ever see Return to Oz? <sighs> no, I didn't. I like. I sure. think I tried to watch it when it was on TV. Like, you know, when, like Sunday nights when a bunch of stuff ended up. I remember attempting to watch it, but just not making, it's I a, didn't have the effort to do it. It's a... Uh, Thoroughly bizarre, okay. so I'm told. But I saw it as a kid, so I don't know if I clocked how bizarre it is. I think I was looking for the same actors in the 1980s to, to, to be in those roles. And I think they used an actual lion to be the cowardly lion. And okay. yeah, um, I, I'll have to revisit. I, I can't do it justice here, but I, I'm just curious because it was, uh, it was a big release, but I think it was kind of a, probably ultimately a mistake. Kind but of, yeah. but uh, of course I I do know that the Wicked movie is going to be happening. I kind of wish it was the original Broadway cast, but I don't think it's going to be because of, you know all these years later. I guess the uh, well because what Wicked's what twenty some years old now. I can't believe that's twenty. Oh, oh, it, it was uh, early two thousands. Like it yeah, was, would, yeah. it'd, be, it'd be close to twenty. Yeah, yeah, that's unbelievable to me. So, but yeah, I I think that will be a worthy mm -hmm. film as a follow-up to the wizard of oz oh, for sure i think yeah. wicked is what made me like it oh you think so? as an adult okay i love wicked so yeah, i like the music in wicked i, I haven't mm -hmm. seen wicked on the stage i'd, I'd love to oh, i have and, yeah. it came to saskatoon so i mean i saw the touring production but yeah i my parents saw it but i didn't i didn't get to see it and, yeah. and i when i've been in new york I, and when I was in New York, I didn't know anything about it when it, and I was just like, what, what is this? If I had known what it was, I would have made a greater effort to try to see right. it. Look forward to that. But I think, you know, no matter what, The Wizard of Oz is going to be a great movie. And I just, if it was done now, there would be a lot of differences in how they would have made the movie and yes. uh, how they treated everybody involved with it. It all began in this little shop. Ow! Damn roses. Where, strange as it seems, something extraordinary happens. I'm afraid it isn't feeling very well today. Damn. No, it's not this one. What kind of a little is that, Seymour? Little Shop of Horrors, a story about a boy. I've given you sunlight. I've given you rain. Looks like you're not happy. Unless I open a vein. Where did you get such a weird plan? Girl. You don't make a nice voice when you live on Skid Row, Mr. Mushnick. Seymour, this is my date, my boyfriend. A florist. I'm telling you, Audrey, he's not a good, clean kind of boy. He's a professional. You'll be a You have a talent for causing pain. Hey! Stop me a People will pay you to be I've been saving all month for this. I think I need a root canal. Being a theater kid, I think, you know, you do have a certain place in your heart for whatever your grade 12 year show was. I can sing. Everybody can sing, by the way. Yes. I am not a fantastic sounding singer. Uh, I need a lot of work, but kindly and maybe because of a lack of males and my grade at the time I was given a featured part in grade 12 in Little Shop of Horrors and I, I just love that show it appeals to a little bit of the, the the B horror fan in me and it is the type of musical I like if it's going to be big and silly and over the top yes if it's done based on a B movie 
as this one was. There's an, a reason for it. And there's a reason for all of the songs and I can sort of get behind it. The movie and the Broadway musical are both very, very different. Mm-hmm. And it's the movie is a little bit of a hybrid of the 1960s Roger Corman movie where Jack Nicholson had a extended cameo. They sell the movie based on Jack Nicholson being in it, but he's only a small part of it. Of course. And then the musical by Alan Menken and Howard Ashman from the 1980s. And then they, they carried on to do this. And originally, reading up on it, David Geffen, who produced it on broad, off-Broadway and then produced the movie, he wanted Spielberg to be a producer of the film as well. And he wanted Martin Scorsese to direct Little Shop of Horrors, if you can believe it. And Martin Scorsese, he, for a while, he was linked to it and he wanted to shoot it in 3D. But they had some sort of technical problem. And so then Scorsese, I don't know if he walked away from the project or that, that idea kind of died off. And it ended up with Frank Oz, who I think in some ways is maybe the perfect person to direct this because Frank Oz, for those who don't know, is Kermit the Frog, is Yoda, is responsible for some of the great Muppets and and puppet characters of all time. He's a pretty good comedic actor, and he's also an excellent director, and Little Shop of Horrors worked really well to his strengths. We're reviewing the director's cut, and sometimes when I mention the director's cut, we're just talking about, like, there's a couple extra minutes or some scenes which are extended. This is quite different. So I first saw the theatrical cut. Was that the first one you saw? Yeah. And when I get to the end of it, knowing the Broadway musical, I don't know what is going on in the last 10, 15 minutes of it because a complete diversion from what the story was happens to leave us with a rather happy ending. Yes. Um, and the reason that this happened was this... Uh, the end was reshot because test audiences could not take Frank Oz's director's cut, the one that we're going to talk about, because it was so depressing, because literally every single character gets killed. Spoilers. And this was a downer, and test audiences didn't like it, and the studio interfered. So that's why I said the studio sometimes interferes in these. Yeah. Definitely interfered with The Wizard of Oz and interfered with Little Shop of Horrors release. And so this other version, which was a more positive, happier ending, happens. But it is not the Broadway musical. Fortunately, 2012, I believe, this Blu-ray was released with the director's cut. It actually has both versions of, of the film. And we get to see an ending, which is the true ending to the Broadway musical, Yet there's so much more there. And I say some of it is good and some of it is not so good. But this was the other one that I was just in the perfect mood to to watch. I saved it for the last and I watched it. I had kind of a busy day a few nights ago and I put it in and I was like, oh, can can I do have the energy to sad right Mm -hmm. now? have the energy to watch a two-hour movie but i put it in and the opening number happens and i'm just like i this feels so so good this is like as as, as dark as the story is it felt like this nice part yes. like it i could cut open and sit back and enjoy myself uh for a couple mm-hmm. hours and this is the version i would say between the two that is most appropriate for little shop of horrors so agreed yeah yeah so i like it i'm guessing you, you enjoy this one as well I did. I I like, I mean, I I like the musical itself. So that always helped Um, original. Yeah, I liked this version better than the the original movie too. Like it just having that ending just 
just that little bit of extension and just it ended it I was in the right frame of mind as well I'll mm -hmm. be honest I waited until the end because of the fact that we were supposed to perform it like mm -hmm. what is it almost a year ago right now yeah um, within, yeah within it, a week took, or, or two yeah it took a little bit for me to like okay get in the frame of mind and don't go oh but we couldn't right so but when i did it i was glad i had and then i was glad it was this version so yeah me too and it's yeah we might as well start with the end and then we'll get to go back to the beginning which is the part which is the overlap between the two versions here but yeah essentially spoilers for the whole thing but this man eating plant if you don't know the plot but there's this this poor schlub named seymour who uh, is in this flower shop which is just dead they're going out of business and uh, his boss mushnik is horrible to him he has a crush on this girl named audrey who is has this awful boyfriend named uh, oren scrivello and and things are, are pretty down for them until Seymour comes across uh, this really unique Venus flytrap after a total eclipse of the sun. And we discover as we see the, the story through Seymour's eyes that this is in fact a Venus flytrap that needs to feed off of blood and needs to, as it gets bigger, needs to feed off of human beings and needs Seymour to kill people, chop <laughs> them up and feed them to him. Uh, so... Nice family musical. Yep. It, but it's it's funny. It's light enough that it's not too much in the horror. But I think horror fans who maybe don't like musicals would like this one. Well, I think it's a nice balance. It's not. It's never too dark, but it is grisly. And this director's cut has a less than happy ending. Where I would fault the director's cut is they start to go into like the Godzilla movie monster thing a little bit with the plants showing up everywhere and on top of the Empire State Building and people's houses. And they have this neat... which. Would have been a 3d effect coming out of the movie screen which would have been great at the uh, seen it in a movie theater which i, I never sure, found yeah. but i think that sequence goes on way 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 too long yes i yeah. kind of liked it but i didn't need it for i felt forever like that yeah. was one of the times in this it was like first of all i mean i i didn't i guess i wasn't expecting that much of a change in the director's cut i didn't yeah. read up on it which was probably a good thing but yeah i was like okay now what yeah uh, and so it, it it keeps the same ending as the musical. One of the differences is, at least in the version of the script that I've always liked, the the plant, of course, is going to be manufactured and is going to be sold all over. And we see that happening in the movie. Yeah. But at the end, all of the major characters kind of appear connected to the plant, Audrey too, and they're singing as a warning to the audience. You know, don't feed the plants. Uh, and we get it's almost like. A, it's like a curtain call or an encore for mm -hmm. for the cast, all these people who have been eaten up by, by the plant. We don't get to see them after they are dead in this. We we just get we get the voices in the background and we just watch Earth destroyed completely by uh, all these versions of, of Audrey too that go out into the world. I thought if they that had been cut down a little bit, mm -hmm. it was effective enough, but and it was certainly better than some sort of a happy a happier ending, which didn't make a whole ton of sense to me. I mean, it made sense to those who aren't familiar with the previous versions of this, the B horror movie version and the uh, the Broadway musical. And yes, the, the cast is so lovable. You certainly don't want to see them die. Nope. Nobody wants to see Rick. Moranis hurt, which is ironic because he, he's been away from the movie business for a while, but he was mugged last year in New York, uh, attacked, and it was just like, no. who's going to 
who who's assaulting Rick Moranis? So so kind of thinking of all the these lovable characters he played over the years. But oh, for sure, yeah. yeah he's very good for for the role of Seymour since they were, except for Ellen Green, who I'll get to in a moment. Pretty much everybody was cast from the Hollywood machine or from like the '80s comedy factory, as mm-hmm. opposed to actors from the off Broadway show. Yeah. Uh, Ellen Green uh, plays Audrey. She 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 was in the musical. It makes sense. Is a yeah. pristine voice. I, I, I'm not sure they can just find anybody to have to play that. I mean, they could have tried, but I, I like her in it. I actually, you know, mm-hmm. I think she has some pretty good scenes. Odd thing, I don't know if you've clocked this, like, she has, she has a, hey, Seema, type of, like, uh, that's really high-pitched. Yeah. Kind of grating, but she's such a lovable character, you, you, you don't mind that for her acting voice. And so this relates to the Richard Gere comment from before. Mm-hmm. When she starts singing, and she has these powerful numbers, but she's got this, this kind of a strange sound. It's uh, a weird nasally thing. But it's almost like a something raspier nasally. Like, yeah. It's a different singing voice. And I recognize people have different singing voices than their speaking voices. But sometimes it's a touch distracting, but the acting and... The music is so good that I can completely forgive it. But just every once in a while, it's like, first time you hear it, it's like, wow, that that doesn't sound like the same person singing, right? Yeah. I actually went and looked it up to see if she had sung it or not. Like, just in case that they had done a weird cover of her voice because I was like, ah, I'm not sure. And then realized that, no, that was why she was there. <laughs> One yeah. of the reasons is because she can sing, yeah. and that's like her role. And it was just, ah, uh, I w- yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of her singing. But like you said, after that initial reaction, I was like, okay, you could actually get past it. Somewhere that's green, and suddenly Seymour are just some of my favorite songs in the history of Broadway musicals. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm probably not coming from a a rational point of view. I'm very sentimental about this show because I love that so much. I think that's why I maybe give her uh, a bit more credit, and I think. She- she does a nice job and also being kind of the, the one that doesn't come as much from the A-level casting of comedic stars who show up in this. Actor I quite like with Mushnick. This is the role I had, by the way. So Vincent Gardinia, very good actor, character actor for many years. Shortly after this, he appeared in the movie uh, Moonstruck. He plays Mushnick. They cut Mushnick and Son from yeah. Film. And he doesn't sing at any point. He's there for his acting and acting only. Right. I think he plays some things big, probably appropriately so. But I, I don't really have the feels one way or the other for Mushnick. He's complicated. You kind of love him. You kind of hate him. Yeah. If it works. And I like the actor. I didn't necessarily like this particular version of Mushnick. If you if you know what I mean. Oh, exactly. Like, uh, yeah. I don't know him as well, but it was, it was a, he got the job done, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't, yeah, I agree. It wasn't the strongest one there and it wasn't necessarily the strongest Mushnik I've, I've seen. I mean, he looks the part. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, He he looked the part, but there's just so many other people that are much more colorful and interesting. I'll go to Rick Moranis. I don't think I asked you about Rick Moranis. We talked about what sweet guy (laughs) is and all this stuff and. Yeah, meet up in New York. We didn't actually talk about his performance. What did you think of him in all facets of the performance? I liked him actually. Like, I think. I mean, I'm also coming from seeing him in so many other things, right? Like, to me, that's how I saw Seymour. So, I like physically that worked for me, and like the singing. 
when it comes to Little Shop, I for the music part, it kind of carries it, but it's not the main thing for me for it. Like so, and I know it's weird being a music person, but I didn't focus on it too much with the, with this particular one. And it means it didn't detract from it, but it wasn't like my standout one. It was more of a I was following the plot and I was following like the acting and stuff like that, and probably reminiscing as well. But mm-hmm. it's because I mean it, you know I have a lot of friends who are music teachers. Mm-hmm. And what's been kind of deflating for me sometimes is I I do get excited about a movie musical and then I go and talk to them and they say, well, that's an actor. Like they had everything wrong about the singing or whatever. I think with Seymour... And I remember the person who was played Seymour in in the production uh, when I was in high school. He mm-hmm. uh, he, he did he talked saying it, yeah, and it still worked really well. So I I don't think you know it's a lead role in a musical, but you don't necessarily have to be an amazing singer. I don't think to play Seymour. Not for this one, no. Do for Audrey, I think, but for for yes. Seymour, not so much. And so I think Moranis does a, a good job of that. Yeah. And it's really like that is the look for Seymour. So, somehow that happened. When you look at the Seymour in the in the B movie, mm-hmm. it doesn't look he's like kind of this sleazier looking like 1960s yeah. beatnik guy or something. That's <laughs> I think Moranis in every production of Little Shop since then has used that look. For sure, for yeah. To a greater or, or lesser degree. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think we, we were sort of working on that too. We cast a fem- female playing Seymour, which was, uh, I was, uh, I, I wish I could, that could have happened. I mean, I think that would have been. Totally so I totally do. I wish we had had opening night. We, we had, we would, kind of went gender blind casting and, and I think that's going to be my approach for everything in the future. Mm-hmm. I, I think we're past the time there where a, a guy has to play a guy's part, like with, with within reason, I think. But oh, uh, for, yeah, absolutely. A, and it, the person we cast worked well for it yeah. in personality, in delivery, in in so many ways. Like if gender was the only thing holding us back, yeah. there's no, it, it's not a reason. So No, it isn't. Okay, I'm building up to this one because I think actually my favorite performance is Steve Martin as the dentist. And yeah, of course. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I, I haven't had this is an even greater reaction than the other times I've watched this where I was like, okay. I, I wanted I wanted to go look up who was nominated for Best Supporting Actor that year because I actually think there could have been a case for Steve Martin because there's so much great stuff that he did. A lot of it, it was his idea okay. and different choices in the choreography, like yep. that, that idea of uh, elbowing the dental assist- assistant in the face. Right, yes. Yeah, that was his idea. He okay. took the little kid's doll and uh, took off his head. Fun fact, uh, the one little girl in the in the dentist scene, I'm not sure if it was that girl or if there's another one, was uh, Jim Hansen's daughter. Oh. Who was obviously connected to Frank Oz and maybe helped out a little bit with the puppetry as far as Aubrey too. But he, he, there's just so much energy. It's so, such a good performance. And, and you see what a nasty person he is. But oh, we sure. also see like there's such charm and there's such energy in the songs he's involved in and, and those scenes. It might lead to a criticism I have of the whole thing in a second here. Okay. Uh, but th- there is like he abuses Audrey. And mm-hmm. my only question is, does Lil Shop, like the whole the whole thing, not just the movie, but the musical and all that, is it a little bit too cavalier about partner violence? That's my criticism. Yeah. You're like a joke at points. Yeah. You know, there, there are lines that Audrey has about, oh, being handcuffed or like breaking mm-hmm. all these phones. 
it, it doesn't it isn't dealt with. And I guess I, I know it was the eighties, and we're putting twenty twenty one on there. But I I think it it should have been handled if there had been like a, a crime or a neighborhood story about this stuff set in New York at the same time. I think they would have dealt with that issue exactly. so and there's some dark themes in in this and oh yeah well some of the dark stuff in a very effective manner but that's one where it just kind of sits there and that's just something that leaves me uncomfortable well and I, like i don't know if it was supposed to be like a carryover from like that 1950s vibe that it's supposed right like mm -hmm. somewhere that's green and all being where audrey is supposed to just be that quiet good girl right but even when every time i've seen it like i was able to see it live this summer before so what a summer two summers ago i didn't like that part like the violence part was we could you could use most of the dialogue still and show that power in the relationship that lack of power the power struggle but you didn't didn't need the violence part and you didn't need the handcuffs and you didn't need the but in the 80s that was also a thing that was starting to like we we talk about it being time appropriate i don't know if it would have been as appropriate in the 80s either i think it would have still been cringy then i guess it was to spin it around but still i don't think they dealt with it appropriately enough no. if, if they're trying to say like the 1950s was all an illusion like it the this yeah. was like the great time, the best time in the history. And I still, Perfect, yeah. that American dream idea that still exists right now. And a lot of the folks mm -hmm. that support certain people who will not be named are yeah. longing for that particular time. That and picture, yeah. they're showing that this is the other side of what was going on in the 50s, that women were abused and, and they had no voice and nobody was doing anything about it. I mean, she goes to work and Mushnik says, poor girl, and he's not a very nice man, guy and all that. He doesn't do anything about it to try yeah. to actually, in a way, Seymour does something about it, but it involves. He doesn't take credit he for it. Make... He doesn't. Yeah. Like it, it's it's out of convenience that he takes care of so, it, right? And even so... the girls on this stoop are just kind of like it's a hint of oh you shouldn't be dealing with that mm -hmm. but then that's it so it's just kind of suggested but nothing beyond well, because that because he's a dentist he can do that but yet it's such an exaggerated version of a dentist like oh, and yeah. then, at that time like did going to the dentist was not fun it's not i don't know if it's fun now but it's at least it, it's a less painful process than oh for sure i think it, it was such an exaggeration there so sometimes i feel like okay, the, the dentist role is so much fun to play Songs are great. It often is a character that kind of steals a movie or a show sure, um, yeah. away from like the, the two main leads or three main leads. But should we like this character? Is our obsession with really evil, nasty, villainous characters the reason that we find this guy interesting? Anyway, it's probably, it actually is probably one of the darkest roles Steve Martin's ever played. He's, he's played a couple yeah. of villains in some movies, which not a lot of people have mm -hmm. seen, but it's pretty dark. But then Steve Martin's playing it, so we don't really take it all that seriously, I don't think. Yeah, you know? there's, there's that filter. Yeah, for sure. But I think it's a really good performance nonetheless. I there. liked it. We, we get cameos from a whole ton of, certainly mm -hmm. like at the time, and I think still many of these people would be, be well known now. Christopher Guest, very good writer, director, appears and he's the first guy who goes in, notices the plant and buys $100 worth. He's a good actor. He, he shows up and it's always something a little bit different. I mean, you can always tell that it's him. Princess Bride or uh, reviewed This Is Spinal Tap. It's a little bit hard on This Is Spinal Tap, actually. But yeah, he's he, he's very good. I like him as a writer-director, actually. I like great John Candy, still very much miss him. He plays this kind of talk radio, but it is a little bit like a shock jock radio where he's doing all these weird voices and being comedic and stuff. 
I don't know if it was the best casting to have him play that. It's nice to see him in it. I actually thought Steve Martin could have played that role really yeah. well. But I don't know where you put John Candy. And if John Candy's willing to be in my film, I'll put him in. I'll You're find a way. Him anywhere, yeah. Probably. Okay, there, there's another one I want to talk about. But I think the most prominent is a cameo appearance by Bill Murray as uh, a sadomasochist who goes to see the dentist. For, for pain and he just is addicted to, to this uh, pain and getting this dental surgery. This is not in the musical, no, but it's it not. is in the B horror movie because that's the same role that Jack Nicholson played in the Roger Corman film. So it is kind of still related to, to mm -hmm. those horrors. As I understand it, basically there was no script. <laughs> Bill yeah. Murray it just said that he's like writhing in pain or whatever and enjoying it. So Bill Murray improvised everything that we see. And apparently there was a whole ton of other stuff that got cut. And it was really difficult to edit it and turn it into something that was coherent for the film. So everything that Seymour was overhearing, all this stuff that's going on. And it's this great improvised scene with Steve Martin mm -hmm. and Bill Murray. Apparently it's the only time they've appeared on screen together. And yeah, really, really cool appearance. I was just like, this could be a movie into itself. It's so much fun. Exactly. Like I, I, I hate saying enjoyed that scene, but yeah, it, well, it, it's, it made me laugh. It's in dark. The it's, yeah. But it's totally appropriate for this exactly. particular musical and movie musical. There's a cameo, but it, it depends on which version you watched. It's been a while since I saw the theatrical cut, but at the back of my head, I was, isn't James Belushi in this movie at some point? Doesn't he do one of those cameos? Yeah. He does. He he was part of the reshoot of the ending. So he has a very, very short walk in there, but yeah. not, he's not in the director's cut. An actor named Paul Dooley plays the same role. And it's basically the person who wants to manufacture or the Audrey twos. Yeah. yeah. And... And has this kind of uh, negative interaction with with Seymour, but he he then wasn't available to do the reshoot of the ending, so they got uh, James Belushi to be in it. And I always thought, well, it's just a whole series of these comedic actors that they're intentionally putting in the movie, but that's what happened. So those are the other two kind of prom prominent cameos. Right. I'm an enormous fan. I wouldn't say that when it comes to like these are important musicals. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if you can say Little Shop of Horrors is important. Yeah. It we put in and replaced with another another movie, but it sure is a heck of a lot of fun, and it's going to do very well for me, not just for sentimental reasons. I think it's it's very much worth watching, and I think people who don't like musicals will enjoy Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah, if you're not wanting the like you know fairy tale musical, for lack of a better word, right? Yeah. This is one that you don't necessarily like for somebody like me who does know the other more traditional stuff. This did take a time or two to get into, but mm -hmm. like I went and saw it at Stratford because I liked it enough that it's like, sure, let's go watch it. I've watched both of these versions of the movie just to, you know, it's one of those ones that definitely grew on me a lot in the last like five years. So, which is good. It was about the time that we decided to, to put this on. And yeah, yeah it's, it, again, uh, it will always be this kind of yep. connection to the school shutdowns and the pandemic uh for sure but and a pretty uh, good group of kids that we had we got to yeah I, I think so. you know they, just a shame they work so too hard yeah. on it and as every high school group does right they do. and, yeah and they always deserve the reward of the performance because that's what all the work is for and the fact exactly. that they can do it is too bad yeah dress rehearsal is into performance but. i'm not opposed i don't know how or when or what the future holds but i would not be opposed to taking this on again just for myself here but this was kind of like one that i sort of helped co-direct and i my position 
job was a little bit different too. So I kind of got things started, but then I wasn't directing in the last part just before the performance, what would have been the performance time. It'd be nice to at some day to take this on beginning to end and try to do it again. It certainly is a show that means a lot to me and always will. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about Little Shop of Horrors? I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. So that was good. Sensational long-run Broadway musical hit by Oscar Hammerstein, who gave you Showboat, Oklahoma, South Pacific, and The King and I. Brought to the screen by Otto Preminger, who produced and directed such hits as Laura and The Moon is Blue. With the original Bizet music that made Carmen one of the most popular scores in the world. With a cast of show world favorites starring Harry Belafonte, Dorothy Dandridge, Pearl Bailey, Olga James, Joe Adams, with a new modern story of the exciting people and colorful places of America. What's mine's yours, Joey. And that goes right down the line. You take us to Chicago, show us a good time. What we gotta do for you? Don't ask him that now, honey. Let's get to Chicago first. See, we're not on me. Sure. We can give you a better time than I can. Fancy clothes. Swell company. The whole works. Husky Miller's latest woman. Only that ain't the way it's gonna be. I swear, let no man take you away from me. How are you gonna stop me? I'll show you. Are you familiar with Carmen, the opera? Um, yes, but no. It was a mandatory study in a music history class I had to do. So yes, I, I am familiar, but it's not necessarily all sentimental by any stretch. I, I think the music is mm. more famous than anything else. I mean, I, I don't sure. really claim to know Carmen that well, so that's where I feel like I'm at a bit of a disadvantage with this review, because I, I think naturally, even though this was a production unto itself before it yes. became a, a movie, still those who are purists and who love Carmen may like or dislike Carmen Jones. But uh, nonetheless, this is one I think is significant in the history of African Americans oh, yeah. in, in film. I mean, the entire cast is is African American, and I mean, now we're struggling to have movies released. It's starting to happen a little bit more, but it's it's still in 2021 an issue. And this movie came out in 1954. And the other claim to fame it has is was the first time an African American woman, Dorothy Dandridge, got a Best Actress nomination uh, for playing Carmen Jones. So when and it's only happened once. I don't know if it will happen for a second time this year. But when Halle Berry became the first black woman to win Best Actress, she mentioned Dorothy Dandridge and a bunch of other women who had not had the chance to win. One and only uh, Academy Award nomination for Dorothy Dandridge, and she had to she had to fight to get the role. It's a set it with an all black army camp. Carmen Jones is desired by many of the men on this base, 
But naturally, she wants the one man who has this other girlfriend. She wants mm-hmm. this guy named Joe. Joe, played by living legend Harry Belafonte. When I first picked this up, it was a blind buy. I knew okay. like it was the historical context, but I, I hadn't watched it before. I've now watched it twice. And then I saw that uh, Harry Belafonte was in it. I was really excited. I, I like him. For, he hasn't done a whole lot of movies the last few years, but I like him as an actor. I like him as a singer, uh, which is a little bit ironic when we get into the, the stuff with the uh, the singing. But yeah, but Joe's engaged to this uh, sweet girl named Cindy Lou. <laughs> of course, because <laughs> it was a 1950s movie. Did I mention that? And he's about to go into pilot training for uh, the Korean War. Going after him, Carmen succeeds only in getting him into the stockade. While she awaits his release from the stockade, trouble approaches for both of them. And they modernize the lyrics, but they use the music from the opera in telling this story of basically what starts off a this woman chasing after this man who's engaged and then they have sort of a romance but then there's somebody else who gets involved who has a lot of money uh, this boxer goes to chicago gets complicated the relationship goes sideways and the reverse happens and joe becomes the one who is obsessed with carmen so i i like this i don't love it but i am i want to recognize how it's important in the history of film i like it acting wise you know, Dandridge and, and Harry Belafonte are both great. I like them in the acting scenes. This is one of the ones where I think there's a whole ton of production numbers and some of them are needed and some of them I don't think are all that necessary, really. I, they sort of eat up time and it's not a terribly long movie. Absolutely agree. There's some, like, yeah, some some go in and it's almost like they were going so close, not, I don't want to say going so close to the opera, but they wanted so many of the main motifs or the main themes of the music in that they needed needed to throw in another song almost and i agree like it wasn't a, it wasn't hard to watch at all like it was like you said it's a shorter movie but some of those musical numbers it was like eh, why why is it there and it's endless there's a sequence that, that there's one of the the main settings kind of in the middle part of the film is like this this roadside bar club type of thing yeah. and there's a long long dance number and then it leads mm-hmm. some more songs and more songs and this is just kind of like we we get the idea the offer to go to Chicago is the main point of this and then Harry Belafonte getting out of the stockade and reconnecting with Carmen is the other thing and then she's stuck between oh she wants to stay with this army man but she also her friends and this guy want her to go to Chicago and then they end up she convinces Harry Belafonte to go to Chicago with her and they get like this one room hotel and he's basically got a wall so he's put his life into a lot of danger for her but it's not not a good idea and I guess that's the point is that she's a dangerous woman. One of the hard questions I might have is why does he fall in love with her? I mean, I guess she's exciting and a bit sexy and all that. But I, I didn't actually believe it. Like when they first kiss and then yeah. they, they actually off screen have sex. And it's pretty obvious that they have that, which mm-hmm. was pretty risque for a movie at that time. But I, I the build up to it didn't make a whole ton of sense to me. And then this poor, again, what is it? Uh, Cindy Lou character. That, yeah. Like, the, and the actor's pretty good too, but she, she has almost no role. I mean, she's just at, the, at yeah. the convenience of the plot. Like she's, we start the movie with her for some reason, but we, we kind of abandoned her throughout she has to find her way into the base to see harry belafonte before he goes off and we see how in love they are but then that 
she gets dumped like nothing at all. And she's still so sweet and still kind of follows him around and tries to track him down in Chicago and gets treated horribly. Yeah. And I, the whole time I'm like, this is just such a thankless character in a thankless role. I don't know. Again, I'm not as familiar with Carmen. If there's a, an equivalent character in Carmen like that. There, there is, but I don't remember the Carmen characters being like that obvious. Like you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out. Like where she, you know, it didn't make sense for her to pop up in certain places. Like, how did you get here? And you know, you're sitting by a door for hours on end and like, <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure it's definitely not a progressive character because no and this now one one half of uh Rogers and Hammerstein was behind this it was Hammerstein okay I don't want to get into my I feel like I'm getting into my personal history of directing musicals but the first musical <laughs> okay. I directed I won't mention which one it is was a Rogers and Hammerstein show I'm always questioning those shows they have a lot of female characters where they're in entire world is being with a man yes and often the the villains too will be very like even one dimensional in, in, in some of the some of the shows not all of them but in, in some of them, oh, yeah. um, in many of them. A, a Rogers and Hammerstein fan necessarily I know their importance in the history of musical theater and so I think maybe that's maybe part of where that that character gets kind of stuck in that and in this 1950s yeah. as much as progressive as this movie was because a lot of the other characters are more interesting like that boxer and even her even her best friend there who tries to convince her to go to Chicago they have a lot more layers and are a lot more interesting than, than this Cindy Lou yeah and I don't know if it's also supposed to be a comparison of like a country girl for versus like city girl uh-huh. or something like that like she doesn't Cindy doesn't feel like she fits in Chicago at all right like it's just sitting here waiting for you and but we do see where where Carmen grew up yeah which she's from the country too and exactly, like, like, lower class of town yeah. you know but she's kind of tough and sassy and Dandridge does a really nice job of it I, again I like her acting and then looking into it of course it's and I get kind of annoyed with this a little bit when I really like a performance but then I find out they brought somebody in to dub the singing and that's they just said because of the music being so operatic neither he nor Harry Belafonte like most of the cast there's maybe one cast member whose who's voice is actually yeah. used so I so I never fit, feel that that quite works I mean no, the works but the, the singing doesn't so it leaves me a little bit disjointed but yeah. I don't think that's really any of the actors fault that's no no, no. that's a direct like that's a, a decision a decision by man you know producers and Herminger is a pretty you know prominent producer and and director so I think he he probably had some say in that but yeah it, it is for years and it still kind of happens sometimes if the movie star can't sing to that level they, they might bring somebody in sometimes they'll combine two yeah. actors voice with somebody else's too but anyway I, I i don't know i always have a not sure i would actually rather hear the song sung and this is where i differ with some some music people i would rather hear the song sung, the actual voice of the actor but maybe not as pitch perfect if you will but get to the reality of this is the character this is the character's singing voice and acting voice for complete performance and maybe you know there's somebody else who could play the role if they feel that this isn't this is maybe a little bit different i mean I, there probably wouldn't have been a ton of people that could hit the operatic yeah i think in- if i'm not mistaken the operatic singers who were used were well known at the time and well known within the parts like the person who did the carmen was a well-known like performer of carmen okay. so it was something easy for them like not easy but didn't require a lot of 
extra work on the movie's part to yeah. get those in. It just it distracted me a bit, but it fit a little bit better than I thought it would. It's, it's not awful. It's just something no. I'm going to bring it up there about what separates it to me from being like amazing. I think like this is a better than okay. Like I this like the outliers for this episode, Jazz Singer and Carmen Jones. They're a bit older. When we have again, here's the connection. There you have an actor, a white actor in blackface, and then about and less black. than thirty years later, we have a musical which is starring African Americans, and there's still the Jim Crow South was happening. This is yeah, this is not not into the '60s or anything yet. It's pretty remarkable that it happened, and so I think it, it's it's kind of a hidden gem. Like some people should should check it out, but again, it's it, is it the the best of this list? I I don't think so. No, um, and it's just kind of a and maybe some of my criticisms are, are of if. If I had more familiarity with Carmen itself, maybe the story of Carmen isn't that interesting to me. And then, and then they have no choice. They're kind of modernizing it, but they were, but they still, on the whole, were trying to follow the tragedy of that. Mm -hmm. The tragedy is so convoluted towards yes. the end. I mean, I don't really want to spoil too much because I'm not sure a lot of people have seen it, but it, it is tragic. Some folks die, and I think the events that lead to that don't feel that natural. That we go from agreed, yeah. The change in Harry Belafonte's character seems a little bit too much. I mean, it just feels like it's such an about face. And I know there's supposed to be some irony in it that that Carmen was kind of like him at the beginning, not completely, not completely, because he goes no. into a different mode there. But it's it's bad. What 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 he ends up doing towards the end. But like that reversal of who wants whom. It was too. Drastic and too quick. Like, was... what, what is the point of all this? Like, I mean, I, I guess there's yeah. some message about love and lust, and you know, maybe it would have been better if he had stuck with the, you know, the country girl or whatever. <laughs> The other thing that was so convoluted is that they had to go take her to a prison and then they assigned him to go and, and drive like the day before he's supposed to go up to, to go to Korea. I mean, it was just such a, a story convention. Like you could see all of those plot points going along. Yeah. And it's just because the two leads are such good actors. You kind of go along with it. But then yeah. if you start thinking about it afterwards, you can maybe start to get. Mm -hmm. This is my problem. I think we've established this from the first review. I shouldn't be thinking this hard. With musicals, maybe. <laughs> but it's hard not to, right? Yeah. Like, so. But no, I agree. Like, there was, the plot was, yeah, it was a little too predictable. And, like, it was, everything was jumping at you before it happened. Like, there was very few shocks at all in here. Even the ending, although, like, he does turn very drastically, it wasn't unexpected, really, either. No. I, I, I knew it was coming. I could, yeah. the first time I saw it, I, I could figure out everything that was going to happen before it was going to happen, and the foreshadowing is not that subtle. <laughs> I, I do have to say, like, as much as I have, have issues with the change in Harry Belafonte's character towards the end, I think he does a good job of acting it. Like, each yes. each point, being, like, the noble soldier, the guy who's in love, the guy who's on the run, and then ultimately, you know, this very dangerous individual. Mm -hmm. All of those notes are, are, are beautifully played, and so I don't know, I don't think he necessarily got as much credit for his performance. Yeah, Dorothy Dandridge was great, and it, she was considered a risk. Like, she was kind of, like, more of a, like, some nightclub performer or something like that. They didn't think she could handle a, a, a big and serious starring role in a movie. So she had a presence to her from the beginning to the end. And so I, I feel like there's a really, really amazing movie in here involving those two. But 
the story and some of the other stuff kind of gets in the way. So it's a little bit more of a mixed, a mixed to positive review for me. For sure. Yeah, I kind of agree. Like it's almost like they focus too much on being the opera and not letting it go the way it could have gone. Fair enough. Anything else you want to say about Carmen Jones? I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. They're acting like, yes, those two definitely let it in my mind. They're the reason that I wanted to keep watching. Suddenly you'll win places you've never dreamed of. Time to talk about Mary Poppins. Yeah. All right, this is definitely another classic, and I don't know if I need to go over the plot for it. So most people should have seen this, but in case you miss so. Mary Poppins, there are these children, and uh, their parents are both very busy. Father's a banker, the mother's out uh, trying to get the vote for women. And so they have had a series of these, these nannies, and uh, each and every one has quit. It hasn't gone well. So magically, Mary Poppins shows up and gets the job to help these children and immediately wins the children over and tries to kind of bring the family together. And a lot of what is going on in the family is attributed to the distant father. But Mary Poppins is accompanied in this magical journey by a chimney sweep, played memorably by Dick Van Dyke, who is uh, still with us here as the time of we recorded this, which is good. I have not, Cards on the Table, seen the sequel yet. I have. I've heard good things. I like it, but yeah. I'm a fan of Emily Blunt. I think I need to check it out. I just haven't come around to it yet, so I don't know how much it impacts your view now of Mary Poppins, but, and I know Dick Van Dyke does appear in the uh, he does. Poppins Return. And he puts every 90-year-old 90 per, 90 person to shame on in it, but yeah. I'm sure he does. <laughs> so Bert is the chimney sweep, and it's in a dual role because he also plays Mr. Dawes Sr., who is yeah. the old man who's the head of the bank. And at that particular time, people would not necessarily recognize Dick Van Dyke in that role. And apparently the children, the child actors, didn't know that he was playing that. And they thought it was just some old man who was really you know, not steady on his feet. I think that character is maybe a bit more impressive than the Jimmy Sweep character, but when he's older, he's actually closer to the age of that character. So 
crazy. I, for some reason, and we'll get to Julie Andrews in a moment playing Mary Poppins because this was her first film role. And there's a lot of, I'm always interested in the stuff that happens behind the scenes. Recommend uh, seeing that movie, which is uh, Saving Mr. Banks uh, with Emma Thompson and Tom Hanks. Uh, it gives you a lot of information. It's based on the book as well about mm -hmm. how Mary Poppins, the book, was created and then the making of the movie, which is really good. My favorite performance is unfortunately not Julie Andrews. She's okay. great in it, and she did win the Academy Award, and we'll get to that in a moment. David Tomlinson as, as George Banks. Mm -hmm. I really like him. Mm -hmm. and so I'm always, my, my the way I, I look at these things is different than everybody else in the world. <laughs> So if I'm tasked with, I haven't been tasked with directing a musical version of Mary Poppins, mm -hmm. but th they're the characters that I'm supposed to link to and love and drive my production based on. And that's never the case. Yep. The character whose actions change the whole course of the film and Mary Poppins does do that, but it, it really is up to that moment towards the end. So I, I like all of the ships and even when things get kind of big and, and fun towards the end with him, I, I, I just believe his character. And I think he had this, this great face for these, these Disney movies. He'd been in a lot of stuff. Yeah. I, I really, really like that performance. And Julie Andrews is amazing. And my favorite is Julie Andrews has a way of, I don't always like everything that she's in, but she's a legend. And mm -hmm. what I like about her is first movie, she gets Mary Poppins. She wins Best Actress and she wins the same year as My Fair Lady wins Best Picture. And Julie Andrews, as she accepts the Best Actress Oscar, thanks Jack Warner for saying that she wasn't famous enough or prominent enough to play Eliza Doolittle in My Fair Lady so she could be freed up to be in Mary Poppins and win this Academy Award. She did this kind of F you to him. <laughs> Backhanded. It's just like, I, I love you just based on that. So, and I'm glad you won just based on that because she originated that role on Broadway and mm -hmm. she did some other stuff on Broadway, which uh, people saw her in. And then Disney, they, they wanted her badly. And right. they, as badly as she seemed to have been treated by Warner, she was romanced and dined by Walt Disney. Yeah. He, not literally romanced, but I'm just saying, <laughs> this is what they worked out. She was pregnant at the time. They decided to delay the shooting of Mary Poppins until after she had her baby. Heard of at that time. like yeah. Her husband of, at the time was hired on to be part of the production. They arranged for for a tour for her and her husband of Disneyland to try to sell her on the idea of playing this role and being in this movie. They wanted her, they went after her. This was gonna be their Mary Poppins and it worked out really well. Yeah. The other thing about this is I, I think, I, I'm sure Walt Disney cared about all of the productions out of his studio, but he really, really cared. And that's in the Saving Mr. Banks, you get that Tom Hanks portrays Walt Disney. He wanted this movie to be successful and he was so hands-on. They said it was the, he had only gone to two premieres of Disney movies. One was Snow White and the Seven Door and this one, all those years later. And he, he, did, he did a ton of work. He was very invested. And to this day, it is the most successful film at the Academy Awards mm -hmm. of any Disney production. It won five Oscars, had 13 nominations. 
won tons of awards for music, of course. Mm -hmm. So overall, it's a triumph and you can't help. I don't care how old you are. And it's been such even longer time since Wizard of Oz for me to see this one. Okay. And at the end, let's all fly a kite. There's just something about that that gets the tear ducts going. I don't care who you are. All of these many wonderful things work about it. It's still a musical. It's still Disney. It's still the 1960s. There is still some hammy, hammy things in there. Oh, yeah. But I think the thing that was remarkable is the animation being mixed in with the live action. And maybe they did a little bit too much of that showing off, but that was okay. Here's where I might make some people mad. All right. So it's a very positive review of Mary Poppins. Okay. And I think the man even admits it himself. Uh, there is no way Van Dyke should have played that role. His Cockney accent is, it's the stereotype of a Cockney accent. Nobody speaks like that. And I understand that he's a prominent entertainer and actor in Hollywood at the time, no doubt about it. But surely there was somebody out there that would have been more appropriate to play that role. Yet he's such a nice guy and we like him. He's such a great performer and everything. So I feel bad, but I, I still found myself in it. I was trying to talk myself out of being distracted by him but every time he's in and like the chimney sweep sequence my head was not in the movie with all those parts except when he plays the older banker later on in the film i i like even though that was so exaggerated and played for laughs and went mm -hmm. on too long but that was kind of in his wheelhouse i thought but the main character that he's known for uh, and this is again one of his most famous roles maybe his favorite role ever but so i feel really bad kind of bashing it but I have to be honest, that's a weakness in the movie for me. Okay. Anyway, I gave you all, all of my thoughts. Now, what's your review? Um, I I agree that the that Dick Van Dyke's accent is distracting, and that's coming from somebody who doesn't usually notice stuff like that. But I did like his singing, like I did like the performance aspect of it. But well, yeah, when he spoke, like it should have just been keep your own act, keep your normal way of talking, or have somebody train you properly. Like Disney could have figured out different vocal coaches for him. Like they were putting a lot of money into this movie. Exactly. They put tons and tons of money into it. So like, and maybe he just couldn't get it and so then the best they could do was to come up with this kind of cartoonish they thought well maybe yeah. it's okay because it's Disney and it's yeah. th there are sequences which are and the characters the mystery of the character is a little bit out of this world too so maybe that was their excuse but I mean I remember that like I remember reading about it and it was being it was a criticism from day one like movie mm -hmm. opening it was people attacked his accent so it's not everything and I agree with you as a performer as an entertainer I, I know I get it but he was so showy I mean yeah. He's kind of winking at the camera and looking at the camera. Hey, hey, I, some of the criticisms of those older movies I was talking about does that stuff. Julie Andrews doesn't really do that stuff. I guess when she winks at camera, it's more like winking in the mirror. It's that stuff, but it doesn't, it didn't take me out of the movie as much as as, as what he was doing. You know, I kind of think like, like he can sing and he can do the dancing and all that, but he, he was also singing in that dialect. Chim, 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 yeah. chim, 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 chim. I don't know. I, I think some different choices could have been made or a recast. Yet it's hard to imagine that movie without Dick Van Dyke. You know what I'm saying? That's, so that's just it. Like I'm kind of going through my head who at that time period could have replaced him. I, mean, I don't know my actor too well but there's none that are jumping up so no he he did actually mention and something i found that he admitted yeah. that there were he named two actors actors that i wasn't wasn't familiar with the names 
okay. around the time who he thinks would have been better fits for the role. Yeah. But he said he loves that role and it was his favorite movie role, favorite performance. Uh, I, I don't know. I, 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 I won't go as far as, as to say that it's bad. It's just not great. That's and great. this is like kind of considered Disney's serious classic in some ways. Yeah, I can. Yeah. No, it, yeah. it's it's not animated. Some sequences are animated, but it is mostly a live action film. And they made a lot of really, really good movies around that time, like Robinson Crusoe and started moving in with like uh, Parent Trap was around there. And it was Pollyanna, I believe, was Disney as well. And so they, they were kind of moving into like a little bit of a mini golden age for their, their live action. But Mary Poppins was the most successful. And I, I mean, I was surprised that. And then, yeah, when I did the count five Oscars, that's more than. Lion King one or Beauty and the Beast, so it, it it does still hold that record all these years later. And it was kind of nice because Walt Disney really did want it to be successful. I think he, I'm sure he would have wanted it to win Best Picture again. That was that uh, that went to to My Fair Lady and another admission here i've never seen my fair lady i'm an audrey hepburn fan but i i, I would okay. i know that was a controversial choice though to have her that's yeah. one of those ones where they had the movie star in more than maybe i'm sure julie andrews would have been a more appropriate choice but anyway i, I don't know i have to see it to judge it but but all that to say like that they weren't opposed to giving the award to musicals throughout the 60s but they seemed opposed to giving it to disney and i think this is even those who are critical of disney could probably get behind Mary Poppins more than some of the others. I, there aren't huge negative messages. I guess the only people who might be offended are Cockneys. I think, yeah, this is one I, I'd be curious. It is a, a bit longer. Like, it is quite a long movie. It is a long one. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if children now would be able to do this in one city. It would be an interesting experiment to yeah. try. Because I could see some, some of the parts where they just want to skip over or go to inside the sidewalk talk scene. The chimney sweep sequence, I think, goes on for a long time it's I don't terrible. know why I'm, I don't know why I'm not a fan of that I, I just have never been even when I was a kid I wasn't crazy about that that part as much I like the first bit of it but yeah they could have easily cut it in half almost have some of it and then just be done <laughs> I like the idea of it and it made sense yeah. in the context of the story but I think all of the great songs that came out of it Spoonful of Sugar Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious and just the climax of the film and the end of the film are well worth the journey and so I I would never dissuade anybody from seeing Mary Poppins. It's it's a very good film. You may argue that it's technically better than some of the ones that I gave more points to when we get to the points in a okay. few moments here. Okay. But I, I, I really, really love this movie and I'm, I'm glad that it held up for me over the mm-hmm. last years. I don't know why I was hesitant to watch it. I kind of thought, I, I don't want to watch it and hate it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't want to be like, oh, I've become so cynical that I, and that's so. It's, it was, it's ruined, yeah, because I grew yeah. up or whatever, yeah. It was it was great to see it. Have you watched the, mu- like, the stage version of it? There is yes, a- I have. Yes, I saw it at Persephone Theater. I know my, my brother was, he would do all the tech at the, years ago at the middle school he was at, and his mm-hmm. friend would direct all these shows, and they would do, it, it was usually like the hottest musical, like the year that before everybody was doing Mary Poppins, they did Mary Poppins. The year before, everybody was put on Shrek. They had put on Shrek. Okay. Uh, they must have been paying attention to the like the second that the show would be available. So my brother like was very into it, and my whole family, of course, I was here in Saskatoon, so I couldn't see it in, in mm-hmm. Calgary, see the production. But I think they all went to see it, and so it was. 
It was fantastic. And yeah. they were telling me, oh, it's a great one. The high school. And I know several of the high schools in the city have put on Mary Poppins last yeah, week. Yeah, in the city. And in like, I believe there's been a couple around Regina too that have put them yeah. on. And yeah, and and I got to see one of the touring productions and actually um, enjoyed it too. And so, but it wasn't, it wasn't so same to the movie that I was comparing, but it wasn't so different that it wasn't the movie. I, I do have to say like of the six movies we're talking about, Mary Poppins is the only true movie musical in some ways where it was an original musical made for cinema yeah. it was cinema first and then it was broadway second yeah. and all of the other ones had been on some sort of a stage version of it even the jazz singer before you know there were talkies there was there was a stage version of it beforehand some of them i thought were original movie musicals until i looked into it but mary poppins is the only one and just the work that went into it it was a classic it will always be a classic and yeah. I, I don't know, maybe my I hesitated uh, to see the sequel because I wasn't sure a generation later if it was necessary, but it, it got such good reviews and it sounded like... I, I love that sequel. You else about Mary Poppins you like to say? Uh, no, I think I'm all right with this one. Check it out, this little film that yeah. nobody's heard of called Mary Poppins. Yeah. Now, this year's nominees for Best Performance by an Actress in a Supporting Role. Kathy Bates in About Schmidt. Julianne Moore in The Hours. Queen Latifah in Chicago. Meryl Streep in Adaptation. Catherine Zeta-Jones in Chicago. And the Oscar goes to Catherine. Zeta Jones, first Academy Award and her first nomination. Thank you so much, my Scotsman giving the Welsh girl. I can't believe it. Oh my gosh. This is too, I mean, my hormones are just too way out of control for me to be dealing with this, but thank you so much to the Academy and um, to be nominated with such amazing women and an amazing year for women. Thank you very much. Everyone involved in Chicago, there's so many people, Rob, Marshall, Harvey Weinstein, Craig Neal, everybody, and all the cast and crew. Everybody in Swansea, South Wales, I love you. And to my son, Dylan, who is going to be watching at home, and to my husband, who I love, and I share this award with you, along with this one too. Thank you so much. Allie Peters, thank you so much for being on the show. This sort of came out of, you did a little bit of shout out on social media for, for my podcast, which I really appreciated. And then I said, oh, why don't you come on the show? And you're like, oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> I gave you a few ideas there and we settled yeah. on musicals. So thanks so much for doing this. And Thanks for asking me. 
hopefully I can convince you to do this again after this. So, sure, why not? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, if, you can, if you can suffer through me, then sure, let's do it. <laughs> I'm not suffering through anything, though. This has been pretty, pretty slick here and using your expertise has helped me because I would say musicals, even though I've directed them, worked with them, it really is not my area of expertise. And, you know, we're talking about other genres of film then maybe I'm a little bit more of an expert here. So a lot of the questions I was kind of asking you there were a little bit like, should I be critical of this or, or am I being too hard? And you know, that kind of thing. So I think we, seems like we, we mostly agreed. So I'm interested on in how the points go here, but I'm sure either way, we're going to remain friends at the end of this. <laughs> Hope so. I don't think there'll be anything too shocking here. So, starting off with uh, in the order we reviewed them, how many points did you give the jazz singer? So jazz singer, I gave it eight. And Chicago? It was one of the highest ones. I gave it a 12. The Wizard of Oz? 11. The director's cut of Little Shop of Horrors? I gave that one a 12 too. It might have been more sentimental than anything, but... Which I understand for sure. <laughs> Carmen Jones? Seven. And Mary Poppins? Ten. All right. So for me, with the jazz singer, and I do like to spread the points out a little bit here, but I did okay. give the exact number. I was kind of smiling a little bit. Our, our, our numbers are fairly similar for the most part. I gave eight points for the jazz singer. Chicago, I gave a lot of points. So I gave 13, actually, one more point than you did. Wizard of Oz, maybe ungenerously nine. Again, I was kind of spreading the love around a little bit. So I uh, only gave nine points to it. And some of the hammier acting, I suppose, and maybe I was thinking too much about the making of the movie more than I should have been but it's a movie that always looks good so totally sentimental reasons and how I was feeling that day but Little Shop of Horrors director's cut I gave 13 points to Carmen Jones I, I gave 8 points one more than you did so kind of similar to to the jazz singer and Mary Poppins similar Wizard of Oz also probably ungenerously 9 points but again I, I think I I used a lot of points for Chicago and for Little Shop of Horrors exactly and, yeah. and it caught me on the right day and I wasn't necessarily sure if Chicago would have gotten that many going in but I'm really happy that it increased in my esteem this time around. So where that leaves things for the totals are the there's actually a tie for the most points Chicago and Little Shop of Horrors director's cut. Then in third place is The Wizard of Oz with 20 points. Fourth place is Mary Poppins with 19 points. Fifth is the jazz singer with 16 and just barely being at the bottom is Carmen Jones with 15. And that is the, the movie. It's a DVD that has to leave my movie collection. So uh, you get to decide what I am supposed to do with it. Hmm, that's tricky. Why don't we say donate it? I uh, will do that. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank um, you. Just before we go, I, as always, I want to plug a couple of podcasts, uh, friends of the show on and, and been guest critics like you have rank and review larry parsons show about genre cinema horror that kind of thing science fiction fantasy but he reviews other stuff as well i love being on that show and being a guest on his show led to this one happening so I'd like people to check that out. Every two weeks, he has a new show out. And then Kurt Fitzpatrick in uh, Jersey City, New Jersey. Him and two other guys review uh, Hallmark or Lifetime movies. The podcast is called A Lifetime of Hallmark. They come at it from a very comedic point of view. Please check that podcast out. Just support local podcasts and independent podcasts where most of us are doing this for free. We aren't celebrities. And just please share this podcast and those other ones I've mentioned with 
anybody you know and movie fans in your life, TV fans in your life. And as always, still living through the pandemic here and all of my shows are from a distance here. So please just be safe and continue to be kind to one another and support local theater, musical theater, and keep watching the movies in whatever way you can watch the movies. Thank you so much.